I would love colleague Jambaski to tell me any circumstance in which NATO has played a productive role or delivered peace anywhere. History has taught us that sanctions do not end military conflicts. They do not bring peace. They make the people suffer, not the oligarchs, the people, the people of Russia, the people of Europe. And they're not going to help save lives because the more arms you pump into Ukraine, the more the war will be prolonged, the more Ukrainians can, will die. And it might sound radical, colleagues, but the answer to war is not more war, it's peace. And peace isn't delivered by the barrel of a gun, it's delivered by diplomacy, by dialogue. You can wish away your continent's history, but we share a continent with Russia. We will sit down with Russia. There will be a negotiated peace, and this organisation should be promoting it earlier rather than delaying it and making sure that more Ukrainians die. Your feigning of sympathy rings hollow. It makes me sick, to be honest with you. Uh, President, so... EU-Russia relations are at their lowest ebb ever, and the Parliament's response is more, much more of exactly the same thing. Prevent Russia from developing relations with EU countries individually, ratchet up NATO, strengthen EU defences to deter Russia, sanctions and international investigations, and so on. This isn't a serious, credible document. It's actually a xenophobic rant. Much of the information is false, misleading, and one-sided. We surround Russia with native bases, and we call them the aggressor. We support opposition groups, and we accuse them of foreign interference. The European project is not being undermined and divided by Russia, but by the rank hypocrisy that is characterized in this report. And the only beneficiaries of this nonsense is the arms industry made fat on the profits of its hysteria. So would people ever calm down and cop on? We need to work diplomatically with our neighbours for a peaceful resolution of differences. Could she back off the Russia phobia? The last thing we need is a Cold War turning into a hot one. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Saturday, April 23rd, 2022. Thank you for joining me today. going to rehash some topics that we were going to get to yesterday. Going to go over some information around a few topics like the Gonzo Lira I was going to give the update on. I'm sure everybody already saw the information. I wasn't able to get to it yesterday, as well as some, some skepticism around the topic that seems warranted, as well as some information again about the Azov Battalion. Now, this is a topic that people, it's becoming this interesting political wedge point for a lot of people. It, it, what's interesting is I still think people are missing it's certainly possible right out of the gate that I'm the one missing something. That's always the reality of the situation. We should all acknowledge maybe it's us that misses something, but that this is bigger than a neo-Nazi threat. It's bigger than white supremacy rising around the world. It's much bigger than the Aza Battalion. It's much bigger than the Ukraine. We need to stand back and hopefully see that this is a larger thing that's been building, simmering, brewing, that maybe not was this exact plan 50 years ago. 
but ultimately became this as things shifted, as the Soviet Union became Russia and different things change along the years. So what we need to continue to see, like just for instance, I get people that reach out and point out that my graphics, let's say, you know, this many out of this many had Nazi symbols in it. What do you like as if I'm promoting the mainstream agenda, which clearly shows me that they didn't even watch the content because I'm screaming about how it's not. It's about that very person being framed for what they're creating. But nonetheless, they still kind of perceive it that way. And rightly so. There's a lot of reason to be very resistant, very skeptical about where this all came from. But we need to continue to see that it's not even about the ideology. It's about using it. It's a means to an end, just like with Syria, just like the way that they they manipulated people in the Middle East. And plenty of them did espouse extreme ideology. But the reality being, which has even been admitted to by people in high positions of power like Saudi Arabia, that this was something that was built that most people at the top didn't even actually care one way or the other about the religion of it all, the ideology of it all. It was about leadership like cia leadership or foreign intelligence leadership driving it in a certain way to be used against assad to be used against most of the countries in the middle east we can see how this is built so this is the same thing that i believe but a a lot of people are arguing is being built in ukraine or has been built to whatever end and i have plenty of thoughts on what that end is but right there we need to recognize that fact that they knew that this was the group that they've always been. They knew this up until 2021, right until 2022. And then right when this started, everything on a dime just completely changed. That's what I really can't wrap my mind around. How people out there can see what they're saying now. And we can show them like even the same outlet saying not just something different, like it evolved, but saying from like a couple months later, the diametric opposite of what they were saying then. This huge international reaching, grasping, sprawling group that's growing throughout the world, that's tapping in the United States, white supremacy, and then it's been there and just just everywhere, like huge thing all throughout the politics of Ukraine. I'm going to show you right now. And then after February 25th, it was first as if we were like, what's the Azov Battalion? You guys are crazy never even heard of such a thing that it was well they're totally not nazis well he's jewish don't you know that and just all these really couched arguments that really fell flat and now even from that we can see now they're calling them far right again now they're calling them extremists but they're not everybody right there's all these equivocation mental gymnastic kind of points i just don't either i'm baffled why people can't see that or again you know my my constant battle in my mind remember ryan it's that most people don't actually buy it this is the important part about it, that this this is that I do not believe that most people see this as what they're framing it as. I just don't. But that's for you to come to your own conclusions about. But the whole point of me focusing on this is to realize that it's so much bigger than just this neo-Nazi ideology or this one group. It's about the agenda going forward. And as I keep telling you, in my belief, my opinion, the facts that I see, it connects to the Great Reset as well. Did we miss that, the, that Ukraine came out and said, we're the first country to adopt all of the World Economic Forum during an invasion? I mean, doesn't that seem a little stupid? But it, it, plenty of things, digital IDs, vaccine passports, it's all happening in Ukraine. They've openly stated this. Of course, not in the midst of the bombing and then the Ukrainian civilians that are struggling because of what they've created. But in general, from a government level, it's already there. So there's a lot to be concerned about. So discernment, skepticism, and try not to fall into the partisan traps is kind of my point today. But to start off, I wanted to make sure somebody saw that everybody saw this that I keep talking about, but I just want you guys to see, well, more so not to see, but to, to, to if you are having problems accessing the website, the, the last American vagabond.com. Trust me, I'm aware that there's something going on. Please just tough it out. If it's loading time is taking a while, if it's up and down and whatever else, don't let them win. 
Now, the the bottom line is there's very, very obviously something going on. I want you guys to remember the reason we shifted to this dedicated server with HostGator. Because everything was being blocked. My podcast stopped working. Nothing was loading. Everything was wrong. and Everything was acting, glitching. And nobody had any answers. And I hired a team independently to break this down, to move it over. And guess what? Instantaneously. I mean, literally the moment that it went live on the dedicated server, the podcast started working. Everything went back into place. And every, and it, by the way, I even got a, a form of an admission from GoDaddy as well as these other groups with that they ultimately were blocking the content. So the point is this is happening already. And now I don't know whether that's happening at the HostGator level or not. It doesn't seem like the team knows what's going on. I I can't speak to that. But what I do know is that there's definitely suppression, and they're admitting they're doing that. So my point overarching is that if you're having trouble, please just stick it out. Try to get through the content or, you know, search the the title. Find it somewhere else. I mean, I would appreciate you looking at our website. But if you find the content, that's really all it's about. But this person says, I couldn't access the website. So I used the search engine, still couldn't access the homepage. So I clicked top news on our T-Lab search result because that pops up as a search result. And when you search for it, you get like a top news link and so on. Instead of the homepage, he tried the top news link, finally got to the website, then clicked on read more and the latest post and it went right back to square one. Like literally reverted him back to the page. How, that's, that, how do you explain that? He says, so I went back and clicked on the comment and here I am. So he had to like work his way around just to get here. The bottom line is, guys, that there's more going on. We are being censored. We all know that. But please continue to try to share the work and recognize, bottom line, that I'm doing my best to make this not happen. And I will keep trying. I'll, keep, I'll, I'll move to a new server if I have to. We are never going to give up. But just stick it out with me, I guess, is the point. We'll keep going. But I want to make a point about partisanship and to one point about Assange before we get started. Kim.com shared this. Uh, this was 15 hours ago. Just imagine all the damage Twitter has done by silencing people through non-transparent algorithms and shadow banning, all completely on board so far, in the interest of one party, he says. Now, obviously, we can see a slant. Obviously. In plenty of things, right? And always that teeter-totters over the years, over the decades, really, right? Where things shift. One's more powerful, one's more crazy. Remember the crazy evangelical, evangelical right and the sane left? How they framed it anyway. I don't, not that I believe that, but the point is it went back and forth. I don't believe what they say today either, that it's, it's all more of a middle ground. But we, if we truly believe right now that this is all about inter, in the interest of a single party and that the other party is completely clean of any issue here, whether it's censorship, whether it's, I mean, I just, I mean, I'll, I'll read my comment. That's, this is the point. But he says, Americans have never been more divided and angry because of blatant censorship. Yes, we all agree with that. That's why so many want to see Elon Musk succeed. Ex- uh, what? This is the savior complex. Now, I don't know if Kim.com, I don't know. I, I don't even want to get into di- 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 uh, dissecting and theorizing about him and what he intends to do or whatever else, or whether he's a man- manipulator. I don't even know. It doesn't matter. My point is that statement, whoever is saying it, is ridiculous to me. I mean, like laugh out loud, ridiculous that one Elon Musk is going to save us, right? Like he, like he's going to take over first of all, which in my opinion sort of shows even if he succeeds in what he's doing does not mean he's just going to be able to just completely revamp this and do whatever he wants. There's more people involved. Okay. So that's frustrating that they always frame it at this low level. That's sort of like the Trump leaning on the nuclear button, silly art analogy, like actually like there's a big red button he's going to lean on. It's so stupid, but they actually sold that to people into some sort of an analogy. My point here is that why do we need a savior? 
how about we just stop using platforms to censor us? I mean, it's so silly. And yes, I use them too. But of course, it's like I always point out to reach people that are all lost on these platforms. I wouldn't be using these if they weren't there for me to reach. Nonetheless, the point is there's so many other things to do than just hope one guy is going to step in and do what they think he should do instead of do what he thinks he should do for his interest, which is what he does. But the point being that one party is really frustrating. And I said, I can't believe anyone, anyone honestly still feels this is only about one party after COVID-19, after we saw the lockstep agenda on the Fox and CNN alike. How do we still pretend this is only about one side? Regardless of the issue, by the way, I said, it's about tapping into an audience. That's my opinion. Whether he means to do that or that, that's what I believe that kind of comment is about, tapping into a specific audience. And I think it hurts the possibility of actual change away from this broken system. It's broken due to the government. All of it. Hashtag two-party illusion. Now, I know that's not the popular opinion. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe everybody thinks that and they're quiet and they don't want to say it out loud because they think they're the minority like I talk about in any other situation. But nonetheless does feel like an unpopular opinion, but I believe this is right. We need to see past the ridiculous child-level two-party paradigm and pretend that one of these people or one of these politicians or whatever are going to be there to save you. Save yourself. You, as I said down here, Elon will not save you. Only you can save you. Sort of sounds like a <laughs> after-school special message, but it's true, right? So next point, Zuby points out, and I just loved this comment. I have never met a single person who denies that climate changes. Now, to be clear, don't don't jump down that idea. He's not suggesting like that we all believe in the narrative around what they're saying. Everybody, a child, hopefully can see how that's politicized today. But there's, of course, re some reality to the fact that we are hurting the planet. That's the whole two-party paradigm, right? One side pretends like there's no problem at all. The other side pretends like we're going to die tomorrow. <laughs> the reality is the smart people realize that it's somewhere in between. But his point is that nobody denies that climate changes, right? If you look at history, you can see like big long-term thousand-year history. You can see that it always changes. He says, let alone anyone who denies the existence of climate itself, right? Like a climate denier is that he's making fun of their comments, the way they frame this. Our society is obsessed with fighting imaginary ghosts with invented names. This is so, this is exactly what I was just talking about. He just put it a perfect fine point on it in a couple of sentences. I, we, they are creating false things to attack as if that's what some hypothetical you know conservative majority believes or some hypothetical liberal majority believes i don't believe that's what's really happening i don't believe most people believe in the woke just you know just social justice concepts i believe it's a very centralized extreme left version they point that as the majority of the left i don't believe that same with the right i just don't believe it the more i immerse myself and talk with these groups on either side Outside of my circles, I begin to find out that it's much more nuanced than that. Shocker. That they do see lots of things we talk about for more left or for right. They just don't, they just have different certain points they stick with. The idea that there's some sort of a, you know, climate deniers out there or people that like this idea, this is, this is a construct that's being built to manipulate us into fighting each other. That's exactly what they're doing with the uh, Ukraine and the Nazi, everything else. Or you can pick any other situation. Take Syria. Okay, COVID-19. I mean, you can see it in real time where they make things up. You're an Assad apologist or, you know, whatever else. And then you get these really rabid, maniacal people in the Western press that will just like gnaw your arm off if you go one step too close to a certain topic. But that's not what most people are like. That's my opinion anyway. I just think Zuby has a lot of great little snap takes he puts out there that are funny and at the same time, for sometimes pretty smart, pithy. And he says, the person, this, that person's a climate denier. <laughs> what is that even supposed to mean? People just say things and repeat canned phrases, even if they don't make sense. Exactly. 
Like we need to stand back and realize the artificial reality that they've created. And it's not just right now, but finally, this guy is, this is dangerous to me. As uh, I think it was uh, Misty pointed out. Finally, there's some, some what mainstream or corporate media coverage of Assange. It, it, even like, I mean, I didn't actually read the article. That's not my point in showing you this is the point. It's about the fact that suddenly the main, the Western corporate media is talking about this in a way that we might talk about it at the very least at the title shows right here. Assange extradition, Assange extradition decision. That's kind of weird. Heads to UK government. And the quote is the case, which is devastating, which is a devastating attack on press freedom is coming to the United States. According to Stella Assange quote, the U S government is in fact criminalizing journalistic activity through this prosecution. They, this is on MSNBC. Oh, you don't say, guys. Well, did you just wake up and trip over the entire gigantic story today? I mean, it's crazy that it's it's really embarrassing, to be honest, that all of them have avoided this like the plague, like they avoided the yellow vest conversation or like they avoided the Epstein conversation or like they avoid anything they're told not to talk about. But what scares me about this is that they're suddenly doing it. Why now? Well, I have a couple ideas. I'm sure you know or expect <laughs> I don't know if I'm right about this, but I think this is alarming because there's two reasons I see this being used now that they can. One would be to argue, yes, yes, we journalism is being criminalized. But by who? Who are they pointing at and who will this be leveled? Of course, this won't be used to help Assange. It won't be used to help independent media. It'll be used to turn them into the victims. We're journalism and we're under attack. You see how that works? So suddenly Assange and, and is we're going to fight for him because we're fight, but not even really fight for him. Just pretend like, you know, do lip service, but they're going to make it as if they're the ones being attacked. We already see that happening. That West, that Washington Post girl and acting like they're the victims after they do this. They're the ones doing attacking and doxing. That's one thought that could and they very easily with their loud megaphone pretend majority could warp this into being. They're the ones fighting against the, I guess, but here's my point. The U.S. government trying to criminalize journalists, journalism, but the conservative side of it, right? Don't you see how that works? And of course, that's the two-party illusion being used against you. Maybe the people within it might not know that, but then the conservative side becomes the one attacking journalism, and that ties in with the same agenda of criminalizing them as the white supremacy threat and whatever else we'll get into. You'll see that point in a minute. The other one would be Ukraine. Right now, they are screaming about how Russia is manipulating information in Ukraine and their disinformation, and their censoring. And we just went over this in the last report. This was the, uh, shoot, I, I won't get into it today because I don't have to drag it out somewhere, but we just talked about it in the last show. Make sure you check that out. That was discussing the censorship point where the intelligence community just came out and basically says censorship is good for democracy because it helps us fight Russia. I'm not even making that up. Glenn Greenwald did a whole article about it, and it's, it's astounding. They're literally coming out and saying what was moments ago fake news, that you, how dare you suggest that, is now like, well, yes, we need to because foreign policy. So exactly. So you're censoring people that challenge your narratives because that's what you need to progress your policies or your agenda. Yeah, that's what we've been saying, and you censor us for it. My point is this could easily be slanted into censoring people like us for challenging the good journalism or for challenging the narrative. And you can see how this could work. This abstract, but I do believe there's a reason they just suddenly started talking about it like this. Or maybe it's a fluke, but I'm concerned about the way these things are being used against us. And you know what? Some people have been saying that from the very beginning, whether you think Assange is real or not. I definitely do believe that he is a person being persecuted, but some people don't. And they might have a fair argument to say, well, see, here it is. It's swinging back around, used against us. Maybe that was the point. Just, you know, we got to try to think outside the box, which is all we do here. Now, 
Really quickly, I wanted to shout. This was apparently there is a longer video. At least somebody told me that. I haven't checked that myself. Here is the video uh, of uh, the. Uh, this is Alex Cristoforo on of the Duran interviewing Gonzalo Lira. This was uh, not seven hours ago. Let me refresh this so we get the date. This was April twenty second yesterday. So apologies for not. I should have said this right in the beginning of the show yesterday. I ended up saying it way at the end for those that were kind of on edge waiting to find out. But I I I've, I make I in sometimes assume people have already seen like what I post on Twitter and I shouldn't do that. So I made sure I posted this the moment that I saw it, like early in the day. Now, apparently the story goes very quickly. Cause I'm going to, this is still in my opinion, kind of up in the air. This comes directly from what Gonzalo said. Not that I necessarily have any reason to doubt what he's saying, but was always question everything right now. The point is that he claims he was picked up by SBU, which seems to be the case based on the P- the fact that Ukrainian Azov battalion were literally cheering it on. We have the he, he, she, Cirillo out there saying that we, she knew that she cheered it on. Now let's get Patrick Lancaster. Like it seems interestingly very clear that that's what is happening. As we show other journalists, other bloggers, they say pro-Russian are being assassinated in their cars, out front of court. It's happening all over the place. Of course, the Western pre- press won't tell you that. But then now he's saying he's stuck in Kharkov and not allowed to leave. Now, what I hear from uh, people that have, you know, it sources into the activities of the SBU, the argument goes that what they do often is keep people. Like people go, why did they just kill him? Why did they let him back out? Why is he being allowed to talk? And that's a fair question. But I, the argument goes that if this is the case, it's all hypothetical, that they have a, a tactic, a, a common tactic of keeping people like this and, you know, holding their family hostage or threatening their lives and say, well, now you're basically making them an asset and then using the, so these are things we have to consider. Now, my point in this whole thing is that I was concerned for this person because in a dangerous situation and has been continuing to say what he's seeing on the ground. And I was concerned for him, of course, because anybody that's in that situation, we should be concerned about, but it does not mean we shouldn't be skeptical of the things being stated. Right. Of course, it tries to get slanted into, you know, people making a bigger story about it. But I would argue the people that did that are the ones that do that inappropriately came out and screamed that he had been killed. Those are the people that are out there just to get the attention from the story. Right. The point is, as the story develops, we take it as it comes. And when we thought he was taken, it's unfortunate. And we want to make sure that's not the case for anybody. Life matters, doesn't it? But now that he's back, we should be skeptical of the story as well. Now, there's a lot of people, by the way, that are going out of their way to aggressively attack his character. And you know what? There's some fair statements to be made about some of the things in the past. But I keep arguing. I don't know why that has a factor on the current situation. Use it to decide for yourself credibility and so on. But what happened should be addressed as a single story, right? And whether the facts add up and so on. That's all I'm saying. So check this out. We're going to keep on it and, and watch what happens. Now, good. I'm happy to see that everything turned out to be not people being beheaded by the Aza Battalion because that would have been upsetting, especially a precedent that would have been set, whether faked or not, in regard to independent media and so on. Right. We kind of see that going forward. But uh, oh, and the other point was this. This is the kind of stuff I was talking about. Not to say necessarily that, that George Webb stated this, but he did share the picture. This is just the one that I had left up from before. I was going to show this where he said, people laugh when I said release the Kraken. I still think it's really interesting, the Kraken conversation. I had actually seen him say this until after I had discussed that. And I said, oh, that's interesting because he's sort of referencing in a different way. But I thought it was interesting, the Kraken and how that ties back to the Trump community and how that interestingly ties in with Ukraine. Like these pieces seem to be kind of falling in place the way that it seemed at least they were going to manipulate it, right? Which I think the sets changed based on our exposing the independent media, exposing the CIA obvious ties to the creation of the Aza Battalion. 
my point is this, where you can see Gonzalez murdered by the Aza Battalion, Kraken unit. And they quote what Ritter said, except the problem is this person either it didn't care to look further because at the very bottom of this thing where they seemingly trunk, well, they don't seemingly, they truncated. That's not, a, that didn't end. There's not a period. Well, the point is, if you look at the statement, that there's, there's a longer part of that paragraph. So this person chose to edit it out of context, which is ridiculous, and make it seem like he said, as a matter of fact, it happened. Now, I'll be honest, the, the way Ritter point the first comment he posted was really, it seemed like he was saying he knew, except for the last sentence that did put it out that seemed that it was a suggestion. I could see how many people could misconstrue it as he knew. But the very next thing he posted, not very next, but right after that, was for clarification, I don't know. So these people just either are bad at their job, who who rushed out and threw this out there, made it seem like absolute fact, it or didn't care. The problem is that's the dangerous part of this, and that's what gets abused. But I just want to show that because that is everywhere, and that was the biggest issue, for, in my opinion. Now, going over into the starting of the Oslo Battalion, which is very, don't don't miss, regardless of what you think about how that worked out with, with Gonzalo, and whether there's more to the story, or the, the lies are all made up, there's plenty of theories floating around, which I, I don't know how anybody would know for sure. The Oslo Battalion was involved in that, because they spoke up. They're, they tweeted on their accounts with their Azov Battalion patches on, and they tried to delete it, and we got the Wayback Machine that showed them saying it. It's very clear. That was the Boatsman guy, the one claiming that they had him, which they all, they, the story goes, at least, they ended up having him. So this is not a secret that they were very clearly there and very clearly involved and argued about beheading and everything else. So my point is that this group right now, as I've said many times, is very big. Not just, and the Azov Battalion is what, really what it is, is called the Azov Movement now. And it even says this in this 2019 article, because it's more than just the battalion. It's a movement. It's political parties. They have radio stations. I mean, this, this group is huge. The Azov Movement. And they're influential. They operate alongside the police, if not influential, completely overtaking the police forces, the entertainment, the ministry, the National Guard. They've got political parties, right? This is all about this. Why I call, say it's immersed throughout the government. And guess what? That's exactly what they say here and in the Time Magazine article next, right before we got to this point. So how can they be so fully immersed and controlling everything? And then on December 25th, they went back to being non-existent. I mean, that's just embarrassing, right? Because these same outlets are now saying that. But let's get into this. This is 2019. This is the first one. I actually just found this an hour or so before we got started and went through it pretty quickly and highlighted some stuff because it's really about this article that I wanted to get into. Somebody just sent me this. Like, share, recruit. How a white supremacist militia, and it's interesting that they use literally white supremacists because you want, they're not doing that now. They're calling them alt-right extremists, you know, kind of like watering it down because they don't, they obviously are embarrassed by their defending of this to start. And now it's obvious that they're not, it's just, the, I, I keep imagining what these people must be going through. The person, let's say that doesn't really know the agenda and just loves to think they're in the right because they think they know everything because they're in the Western press. And they just yell you down and say, you conspiracy theorist, Putin's the Nazi. You don't know what you're talking about. And now it's pretty stupidly obvious that they are very obviously dead. And so that person's probably going, what? Like, are we fighting white supremacy or am I, how am I defending this? Like you got to think in their mind how they're rationalizing, openly defending an open neo-Nazi group while they pretend they're fighting white supremacy around the world. It's just childishly stupid. But I, I imagine at some level, these people are having a hard time with it. I'd argue most of them either don't care, aren't smart enough or are part of it, but I'll let you decide. But how a white supremacist militia uses Facebook to radicalize and train new members. This 2014? No. 2016? No. 19? No. 2021. This was last, this was last, like not even a full year ago, guys. This is ridiculous. Or technically, no, it would be more, uh, 
a year in so many months. So are we going to pretend that they can have an international reach and their white supremacist militia using all the and, and, and training people around the world and then suddenly have less than a year later, they just go back to being non-existent? It's pretty silly. But let's go through this right here first. Is America training neo-Nazis in Ukraine? Here's what's funny. If an independent media outlet said this right now, they'd be like, you're so stupid. You're a Nazi. You're a racist. What do you mean? How dare you? It's all Putin, right? And it's just funny how so quickly this can evolve. It says officially no, but no one in the U.S. government seems to know for sure. <laughs> this is December 2019. Now, just note the shift. Now, what I should do actually is grab like current, current, like, let's just go. Let's just do all of Italian. Let's see what pops up. We want to spell it. Okay, we'll just leave that. We'll come back to it. Like the current, the current like discussion of these groups after we read what they just said about them. It's it'll, this will hopefully open some minds, open some eyes. There are no doubts about. I love the start here. No doubts about the neo-Nazi white supremacist background of the Aza Battalion. Now, they are sort of admitting that right now. They weren't at first. Now they're kind of going, well, it's a background. It's back in 2014, but they've evolved since then, which is kind of one of the arguments this one at least tries to make but fails. But at the end of the day, it's clear that even the writer was like, it's pretty obvious that this is not what's happening. But it goes on to say, a militia that has positioned itself, 2019, at the forefront of the fight against Russia-backed separatists in eastern Ukraine, which don't forget. That's the point they don't want you to think about now, is that these dangerous people who they are openly calling neo-Nazi white supremacists as of 2021 are the ones that have been on the front lines hurting people in Donbass. Like, imagine the, the mental gymnastics it takes to think that white supremacy is so serious that you are attacking your own military and half the country because they're everywhere and they're doing this. And they're, gonna, they're so dangerous, we can't even let them exist. Except now over here, we're not going to point out that they are the same thing and could have done dangerous things that you admit that they're just ubiquitous in those circles because you want to bat, rush a bad guy. Are we going to pretend that these are not neo-Nazis or that they didn't commit war crimes against these people? Like, it's just such an obvious hypocritical stance because it's verified. Those people admitted to doing so. You can look on Wikipedia right now, and the citation is from the Ukrainian government that says they killed 14,000 people in Donbass. Not on both sides, but they killed in, in Donbass. And then when we point that out, we get called conspiracy theorists. As the front, as the funder, oh, excuse me, it goes on to say, uh, yeah, okay, as the founder and head of the battalion, who we've already referenced to you, Andriy Bolesky once put it, and you've heard this many times, the historic mission of our nation in this critical moment is to lead the white races of the world in a final crusade for their survival, and they leave off the part where he says, and get rid of all the uh, unhuman, inhumans, or I'll reference it in the next article, that Russian President Vladimir Putin and his propagandists exploit this fact. I love how this works out. Like, so today it's that they're lying about it, lying about the Nazis because they want to manipulate you. Right. But it's just like with 2016, anything else they're they're using facts to manipulate you. Well, that is certainly possible, but usually that means it's facts with more lies. Right. So you're using a one true thing and a lot of other lies, but that's not what they're saying. Sort of like with the WikiLeaks documents, they didn't give us a lot of lies along with it. No, no, no. They gave you all facts, and they just said that that's just those facts are being used against you by the Russian government. Well, it doesn't really seem like that's what's happening. They're showing you the truth about who you are. Now, yeah, that is being used against you, but we have every right to see it because you're lying to us. Same thing here. Today, it's not even real, but back then, it's a fact. But he's using that fact to exploit the situation. Now, that's even certainly true or possible. 
But don't miss that they're acknowledging the fact that these people are open to white supremacy, neo-Nazi militias that have overtaken the government. I'll get into that more in a second. Using that fact to build support for their aggression and to undermine the international effort to help Ukraine defend its independence is undeniable. The independence that's being rotten, controlled by white supremacists. Okay, now he's using that fact to undermine that independence. It's a weird stance to take, isn't it? But knowing that and wanting to resist that does not resolve some very important questions about the basic facts. You would never see an article written like this right now. What is the relationship of the U.S. government to these people? Is it training them? Yes, it is. Might it arm them? It already has. Is this like the Afghan war of the 1980s? Exactly like that. One of those cases where we aid and abet the kind of monsters who eventually become our enemies? Exactly. Or get framed as the enemy, just like they did with the Kurds, like they did with I mean, with Saddam Hussein, like they did with Osama bin Laden, right? Where they're the biggest chief ally of the government right up until they're the worst enemy alive. Now, what's interesting is it's not, they try to frame this as the government like being a clumsy idiot that just doesn't realize what they're doing. I completely disagree with that. I think this is a choice. And I think that's very clear based on the data, the, the documents that they've built this for a purpose. Not that they just funded them because bad guy Russia and then, oops, we forgot to do something about them. And now they're our enemy. That's, that's how they frame Afghanistan too. I don't believe that's what happened. I think they've, they built this, this Mujahideen army and then left it because they didn't care, but knew that it would always be something that would kind of harry the Soviet Union and now Russia on the border because it was just present. But that became the impetus for everything else. That became Al-Qaeda, which became ISIS, which became their growing war on terror. Weird how that war on terror only grew the thing because that was always the point. Same thing today. And they're blaming it on you, just like they did then. Concerns about that possibility have been growing on Capitol Hill. Now, you know this because we've talked about it. More than once, the con Congress has reached out to the government saying, why are we helping these people? <laughs> As I always point out, because people in Congress aren't in the know. They think they are. Just like the people on the, on the news, they don't really know what's going on. Some of them sure do, but it's usually decentralized. Like these people, even at the really high level in insight, don't fully understand the picture. That's how this stuff works. But because of uncertainty surrounding the Aza Battalion's role in the U.S. training initiative and worries about the possible supply of shoulder-held anti-aircraft missiles to such characters, the House unanimously adopted bipartisan amendments, the Department of Defense Appropriations Act 2015, and one of them specifically blocks training of the Ukrainian neo-Nazi paramilitary militia Azov Battalion. Representatives John Connors and Ted Yoho sponsored the amendment of the bill, which has passed unanimously by Congress. Oh, and they just move forward. Well, isn't it interesting that back in 2019, when they wrote this article, they somehow managed to miss in all of their extensive due diligence that that the like less than a year later, the Pentagon removed that. Like, how can you write that and then leave that part out? It's 2019, guys. Now, yes, in 2018, they added it back, but the point is they still continue to fund them, which even this article points out. But it's interesting is they just make the argument that, well, they just put a block as if that's where the conversation ended. There's just not, these are the people that are supposed to be trusted. Either he doesn't know what he's looking for or doesn't care. But the point is, guys, think about this. If even then, 2016, 2018, they said, we can't arm these people. And then we go forward to prove to you that they are not just the same, but even worse today, even worse as of 2021, let alone right now. And yet they're the defenders of Mariupol. They're obviously being armed. I mean, you don't just you don't defend them without weapons. 
where the we- the weapons are coming from the Western countries, NATO countries, predominantly the United States coming right now. And even then, if you pretend that they're not handing them directly to them, they're still going directly to them from the Ukrainian government. That's what this article makes very clear. So why is that acceptable? If we were so afraid of them arming them that we two different times we put blocks, but now we just ignore that. And I'll get to it in a minute that don't forget that that amendment is still there. And yet they're breaking the law, which is the point of the title today. They are breaking their own law, which they do all the time, to arm neo-Nazis. It's incredible. But that stuff doesn't matter in the the psychosis, what's the right word, enveloped world that we live in. But it says, because of the uncertainties around them, they put this in there. And then took it out less than a year later and then added it back in 2018. But the highly problematic truth is that the U.S. government currently has no way of ensuring that members of neo-Nazi groups like the Azov Battalion who are now cheering on, they are, are not being trained by U.S. forces because most, if not all, have not committed a gross human rights violation. I don't know how you would even possibly know that. Even more difficult to determine is whether ex-U.S. military are training crypto-Nazis in a private capacity. Right, because that's happening. What they're kind of saying is that it's difficult to determine whether they're training the bad guys. Don't miss what they're admitting to you right there. They are training them. What they're quibbling about is whether we're training the bad guys too. Do you realize that right now they're pretending this is not true? That we haven't been there training them? That we've been sending things from other places? It was on the damn record, guys. They've been there. The CIA, the foreign policy article, admits it themselves, both in 2015 and later, I think it was the same year, but another deployment of CIA specifically, actual armed personnel. But we're talking about the fact that they know they're training them, they know they're arming them, but they're concerned about them going to the bad guys. It's just absolutely astounding that this can be so contradictory to what they're screaming is the fact right now. In an interview with the Daily Beast, Sergeant Ivan Kharkiv of the Yaza Battalion talks about his battalion's experience with U.S. trainers and U.S. volunteers quite fondly, even mentioning U.S. volunteers, engineers, and medics that are still currently assisting them. (laughs) That's how obvious this is. They've been there alongside them, which I keep telling everybody, since 2015 on the record. I'm sure it was long before that, but don't miss that the Aza Battalion really was created by the regime change revolution put created by NATO and the United States in Ukraine in 2014. That's where they got the really created. So my point is that's from there forward when the CIA stepped in and cultivated them, armed them, grew them, trained them, and here we are. But don't forget as well, before that, from 1948, as far as I can tell forward, the CIA was also doing the same thing, cultivating fascism. Where was it? I've got it in here somewhere, I thought. Well, maybe not. I'll just grab it real quick and come back to it. Cultivating fascism since 1948. I think I'd remember to grab these, but I never know where my mind's going to go when I'm talking about it. But okay, going forward, he says, as for the training, they have and continue to receive numerous foreign armed forces, right? This is U.S. government, U.K. They've been trained, armed, and supported for a long time. Those U.S. officials involved in the vetting process obviously have instructions to say that U.S. forces are not training Aza Battalion as such. They're calling them liars right in plain day. It says they also say that Aza members are screened out, yet no one seems to know precisely how that's done. In fact, given the way the Ukrainian government operates, it's almost impossible. And this is the truth, guys. So there's, there's, there's lip service to the fact that, yeah, we weed them out. Using the Leahy, you know, uh, what's the term they use? It's down there. I'll, I'll point out in a second. The Leahy process is right there based on uh, Congre- Cong- Congressman Leahy. The point being that you're supposed to like, ex- you know, vet them and make sure. And the one of the biggest points of this article, which I think is very transparent to where it would go, is that, it, well, we can vet for, 
you know, human rights violations, which would only mean that you would know they've committed them, which I don't know how you would know they've committed them if they weren't caught, but that then it's no, we can't weed out ideology. That's one of the big pushes. I think that was the point of this article. Yeah, they're bad. They always wanted you to know they're bad, but they just didn't want you to know the CIA did it. But what's interesting to me is that if they're going, well, we can't weed out ideology, and they make the point very clearly more than once in this article, just like we can't in the U.S. military. They can join. We don't know if they're neo-Nazis. Wink, wink. That, I think, was the whole point of this. Because then when all of a sudden you, you pretend that Russia is the impetus for why the Azov Italian grew in Ukraine, well, you can make this big tie back to them. And that's not a secret. That's not my thought. That's on the record that they've tried to lay this at the feet of Russia with the Russian imperial movement and so on, which is a dangerous group, but is no even remotely close to the groups that have been tied directly to what we're talking about. And the evidence is sparse, bare, thread, thread bare in regard to the Russian imperial movement tied to Ukraine specifically. But in the other case, on the other side of it, you can show just a mountain of evidence of CIA training of this group and then grabbing specifically U.S. ties, U.K. ties, and making that this international group. But weirdly, continually trying to lay the, you know, the crumbs back to Russia. It's interesting. So the Leahy process is more the big problem now because, well, we don't know. We, how, how do we weed out ideology? Well, we have a solution for that, right? That's what you would expect next. But it's almost impossible to know. So bottom line is, I know this is an agenda. I know it. That's my opinion, but I just I feel it in my bones. But at the end of the day, what I'm pointing out here is that they, even on the surface narrative, they don't even know. So that means they're for sure sending in weapons, training, and arms, and everything else, and it's going directly into the arms of the Azov Battalion because there's no way to even know. Because as the article makes clear, the Azov Battalion, or rather everybody they train, comes directly from the Ukrainian Ministry of Interior, which, by the way, is the Azov Battalion. And they make that clear in this article, too. So everybody they train comes from like a mishmash of people coming from the interior and they admit themselves. Some of them may have Biaza. We don't even know. So basically what you have is a, is a loophole where they know all we got to do is just mix them together, send them in groups and nobody really knows who's being trained. They can pretend like they don't know. It's called plausible deniability. When officials are asked for details of any kind regarding how the vetting process actually functions, answers are ambiguous. Details are scarce and the explanations become contradictory because that's what normally happens when you're telling the truth, right? This is, this is mainstream media, guys. In an interview with the Daily Beast, the U.S. Army Public Affairs Officer from the 173rd Airborne Brigade Training Ukrainian Forces, when asked about members of the Azov Battalion who have not committed gross abu human abuses, more specifically how they are screened out, he says, you know, that's actually a great question. It's one the State Department would need to answer, which is pretty telling, but even more so when you get to the part where he asks that person directly. Now, it says, friends... Uh, Ferencevich confirms that it is practically impossible to know which trainees are from which battalion. Quote, it's a mishmash of folks, volunteers, soldiers, warriors, maiden veterans, right? Directly from the impetus of where they actually started. I mean, I couldn't tell you, you know, sort of investigating the background of each guy. Yeah, isn't that the point? short of investigating the background. So we're not vetting them then because it would be hard to do that because we'd have to vet each person. <laughs> That's what you, really? So what do you mean? You're just looking at them and going, you look like a good guy. Go on ahead. If you're not investigating the background of each individual, there's no vetting process. Like that's just ridiculous. But it goes to this point, she recommends that we speak to the press officer of the 173rd Airborne Brigade. This is a person from the embassy and the, uh, the Ukraine embassy, in the, uh, the United States embassy in, the, in Ukraine. They go, they explain that he actually directed us to her. She laughs and they go, welcome to the U.S. government. 
That's the scarecrow pointing in both directions. So the 173rd Airborne Brigade says, go talk to the U.S. government. The U.S. government says, go talk to the Airborne Brigade. <laughs> they both laugh and nobody gets any answers. The point is, that's how it works, guys. They lie and it's all they obfuscate and you never get any real answers. Regarding the Ukrainian government's involvement in the vetting process, Captain Modungo explains that one section of the government is doing all the heavy lifting. Quote, I believe it's the Ministry of Interior that is picking companies to come here. Really? So we pretend that we're vetting, and the person vetting is the Aza Battalion. So I wonder if the Aza Battalion is vetting out the Aza Battalion. What do you think? Like, this is just a game of names, like Tyre Cheryl Sham is no longer ISIS. Yes, they are. They just changed the name. This is ridiculous. If the Ministry of Interior is the one picking who goes in, well, they're letting in who they want, which is the Aza Battalion. That's very clear. And as I say right here, the Aza Battalion not only answers directly to the Interior Minister, but is the integrated deeply in that structure. Exactly. The founder and head of the Azov, Andrei Boletsky, who right now is currently back in the leadership, is a really, really obvious neo-Nazi war criminal. And I believe they say it later in this article. Oh, and the, the next one, actually. And it says, this is an issue that simply needs more attention than I don't know from the United States government. Remember, this is 2019. Even those most closely connected to the process seem unclear on the specifics of it. You know why? Because there's not a process. This is a CIA operation building a very dangerous group just like they did in Syria to be used against you, against the world, however they're going to use this. If you, if you pretend for a second they care how bad these people really are, then you don't understand what they're trying to accomplish. They want the people that are disgusting because that's what they've always done. That's not my opinion. History is right there, guys. Pick up a book and look for it. It's clear. Now, even then, you should be questioning whether that is, I mean, as always, I've said, history is written by the winning hand. Just take it with some discernment. That's, that's life. That's always the case. It's not just what we're saying. That's the problem is people would rather put their head in the sand than recognize how frustrating the reality can be. That sometimes you do need to walk away going, I don't know, or realize that the information could be lies or, you know, whatever else. But the history of what's collectively agreed upon is pretty obvious, guys, that they have continued to arm and fund the worst people. This says the problem is that the Aza Battalion is nuzzled so deeply into the Ukrainian government, oops, that they are nearly impossible to weed out. That statement in 2019 directly contradicts what they're saying now. Now, sure, could they have changed from then until 2022? Sure. To pretend that back then they were so completely immersed in the government that it was impossible to weed out, but then they just did that until, until 2021? No, because that's not what happened. As even I'll show you next, they don't make this argument. This is 2022 or 2021, January. So a year and three, four months ago. Like, share, recruit. Now, the, the, one of the important parts here is to show you how Facebook, despite their narrative, have been an integral part in allowing this structure to be built. Even they repeatedly say, without Facebook, we never would have been able to do this. Now, that could have been malfeasance, clumsy in incompetence, or it could have been the exact thing you might think it is. You know, the intelligence community using these outlets just like we know that they do. So here's what it says. January 7th, 2021. When they fully rendezvoused, uh, uh, finally rendezvoused, Fuller noticed that swastika tattoo on the middle finger of Fulmhorn's left hand. And this person was uh, a, a army veteran from the U.S. going to join the Aza Battalion. It didn't surprise him. The recruiter, or excuse me, the recruiter for that group, had made no secret of his neo-Nazi politics. Within the global net network, of far-right extremists. He served as a point of contact to the Azov movement. They won't even say that today because they don't want to pretend it's a movement. They want to pretend it's a really small battalion <clears throat> militia group that's no longer really there or they got dispersed amongst them. They're not, nah, that's an old story. 
2021. Yes, it's a movement because it's not just a battalion. It's a political group. It's it's TV. I mean, they, they control and have influence over damn near everything in this country, as this article is going to tell you. The point is, he served as a contact point of contact to the Azov movement, the Ukrainian militant group that has trained and inspired white supremacists from around the world, and which he's come to join. But apparently, with you know a little more than a year later, it just somehow doesn't exist anymore and never did. How did that work, right? Or I shouldn't say never did, but you know dissipated after 2015. How can you have an international network that we're so afraid of? That's influencing U.S. people and all this different stuff if it's if the narrative they're spinning today. But Azov is much more than a militia, they say. It has its own political party. Two published, two, two publishing houses, so media, summer camps for children, and a vigilante force known as the, mil- the National Militia, which, of course, patrols the streets of Ukrainian cities alongside the police. Oh, yeah, just a small little thing that's no longer there. Unlike its ideological peers in the U.S., and Europe. It also has a military wing with at least two training bases and a vast arsenal of weapons, from drones and armored vehicles to artillery pieces, which you'll find out all come from predominantly the U.S. government. What's interesting, what's interesting is that how in the world do you make this about Russia, right? How, why would they be laying this groundwork if it was all clearly tied back to the U.S. government? Well, obviously, you know, that's not what happened because once that got exposed, the narrative changed on a dime. Now, you can see how this would be building, right? How this could be built and eventually go, oh, look, it's the Russian imperial movement that's the, you know, or whatever else they want to frame it as. Otherwise, how do you explain why they would be draining this and then also promoting the idea that they're growing this network? This is that whole, we see this growing and we just don't know how to stop it. Well, you do, you you stop funding it, you stop doing it, (laughs) obviously, but they keep floating these narratives. If, if, for those that don't remember, I just played this the other day. The world is changing, and every counterterrorism professional I speak to in the federal government and overseas feels like we are at the doorstep of a, another 9-11, maybe not something that catastrophic in terms of the visual or the, um, uh, the numbers, but that we can see it building, and we don't quite know how to, how to stop it. And then remember that January 6th happened right after, right? Now, what's interesting, though, is you're pointing out this rising white supremacy threat. And what do they reference? That's what they're actually talking about in that meeting. What do they actually reference when they get into that? Charlottesville, right? Christchurch, Rise Above Movement. Like, how can we miss the obvious connection? They, They specifically reference those groupings. And then when you find out that those groupings are directly tied to the Azov Battalion, and then we prove the CIA has been the one actually funding and arming them, as we just saw, like quasi admitted by the Daily Beast, even though it's very clear now, how does that even make sense? Why would they be framing themselves? (laughs) They're not. I think they bungled the narrative, and I think at the end of the day, this was meant to be laid somewhere else. It says, outside Ukraine, Azov occupies a central role in a network of extremist groups stretching from California across Europe to New Zealand, according to law enforcement officials on three continents. I mean, that one sentence completely challenges every single thing being stated by the entirety of the corporate media. How dumb is that? Ali Sufan, a securities consultant and former FBI agent, who we've talked, we've, we've referenced the FBI's discussion of this point, 
who has studied Azov, this FBI agent who has studied them, estimates in 2021, January, that more than 17,000 foreign fighters have gone to Ukraine over the past six years for 50 countries. So then how in the world, if this is what they're stating, and they all know this, and the FBI even backs it up, did they go a year later to only 1,100? And don't forget, we just pointed out that one of the other discussions that was way up until way closer to 2022 discussed 50,000 more. They're lying to you. That's why. Because they, for some reason, they got the aggressive narrative push from somebody above to downplay this discussion. The vast majority, that's my opinion, the vast majority have no apparent links to far-right ideology, they say. But as Sufan looked into the recruitment methods of Ukraine's more radical militias, he found an alarming pattern. It reminded him of Afghanistan in the late 1980s, 1990, excuse me, after Soviet forces withdrew and the U.S. failed to fill the security vacuum. Now, that's not what happened, not even remotely. That's how they try to they pretend like we can't pull out because of the vacuum. That's not the reality. The vacuum is created when you destroy literally everything and any infrastructure and then back away, which in this case, you could make that argument. But like Syria, that's not what would have happened. That's the narrative they spin. And in this case, why it's not the same is because they built this group. They're the ones that created the problem. And then they pretend that's what filled the vacuum. No, that you just created it and left. There was the vacuum was already filled by your actions. But pretty soon the extremists took over. The Taliban was in charge. Right. The group they made deals with recently. It's just it's silly. But and we do not wake up until 9-11, Sufan tells time. This is the parallel now with Ukraine. Even ties to 9-11, ties to Afghanistan, ties to the whole point. Why is it, how is it, it's interesting to say the vast majority have no links to far-right ideology. So what he's essentially implying is exactly what I was saying, that it's not necessarily about the, the fact that they're all radicalized extremists, but that that's from, that there are, they're using those people as the, the kind of the fodder and the people leading this are more so about the agenda. That's how I would, that's how I see this. Either way, he's making the exact claim that these people are dangerous and you've just left them to their devices, even if you believe that's what happened, isn't that still the fault of the U.S. government? Yes, but I don't think that's the full story. It says September 2019, 40 members of Congress, 40 members. Actually, where was that compared to this? September 2019, this was December. Okay, so this would have been before this article was written, right? So before that, months before, 40 members of Congress signed a letter calling unsuccessfully, of course, for the U.S. State Department to designate Azov a foreign terrorist organization. So you're telling me you can have explicit statements calling them out in name, which I'll show you in a minute. Can't arm or train the Azov Battalion in in their omnibus bill, but yet you quibble about designating them a foreign terrorist group, despite the fact that you guys are screaming in every article everywhere that they have international white supremacy reach. Why does that make sense? Because something changes when you designate them an organization like that. Azov has been recruiting, quote, Azov has been recruiting, radicalizing, and training American citizens for years, the letter said. Yeah, that's exactly the point. And that doesn't tie back to some organic right, white supremacy conservative uprising. It points back to a CIA illusion being created to be blamed on them. Now, Christopher Ray, the director of the FBI at the time, later confirmed in testimony to the U.S. Senate that American white supremacists are, quote, actually traveling overseas to train. Now, why would he admit that if he knows that there's an obvious connection back to the U.S. government? Because they don't want you to know that part. Time, in more than a dozen interviews with Azov's leaders and recruits, it's funny, it's funny how they'll scream, like freak out. How dare you can't interview Russia because that's a that's normalizing them. But here they are interviewing with open extremist white supremacist groups. Like that's okay though. 
how childish. Time is more than a dozen interviews. The point is they should interview anybody because that's what's supposed to happen or diplomacy should be with anybody. Time in more than a dozen interviews with Azov's leaders and recruits found that the key to its international growth that doesn't exist today has been its pervasive use of social media. Well, look at that, especially Facebook, which has struggled to keep the group off its platform. Facebook is the main channel, the recruiter said. Yes, exactly. The point is, even then, they pretended like they were censoring them, but they really weren't. It was an illusion because they used it predominantly to grow the entire thing, even after they were supposed to be censored on Facebook. As they said back then, we put a ban on their name until they updated it recently and said, well, now we'll allow them to say this. Why? It's still the same group. This is 2021. They're still the same white supremacy group you guys were all screaming about. And suddenly you think that they're the defenders of Mayor Upol and you're allowed to talk about them now? How does that possibly happen? Because we destroyed the narrative. Goes on to say, even in December, the Azov movement's political wing, the National Corps, and its youth wing maintained at least a dozen pages on Facebook. Some began disappearing after time, of course, pointed them out and said, you're lying about this. Oh, they deleted them real quick. <laughs> Clearly, they're being allowed on there. They're using Facebook and social media. Now, do not miss the connection back to the big push for why we need to continue to censor, because democracy, as if that's actually not completely counterintuitive. Because all of this ties directly back to the things they're trying to push. Now, that's why I can get understand why people who don't watch these shows but kind of read the titles and think what they think I'm talking about are very concerned about that. I get the agenda, and I see it too, but I am not promoting that agenda. I'm promoting the real story underneath it, which shows you how your government built it to use against you, which is why I wrote this, uh, or this one, in fact, or rather about January 6th, the failed false flag meant to blame Russia and you using the CIA grown as a battalion or the how the CIA built the new Al-Qaeda in Ukraine. It's about manipulating the situation. The Azov movement, through its online propaganda, has fueled, according to Time Magazine in 2021, a global ideology of hate that now inspires more terrorist attacks on the U.S. than Islamist extremism does and is a growing threat throughout the Western world. Now, that's, that's not even remotely true, in my opinion, based on just what we see reported. Like, that's just not... Well, I mean, here's the, you could look at it two ways. One, first of all, how many Islamic attacks do we see in the country? Pretty much none, which is interesting. Like in the context of like the bigger, like a, you know, some kind of a group in the Middle East coming over and attacking the United States. That's, I don't even know where that's realistically happened. So then when you get like one thing in Charlottesville, they go way more, have inspired far more attacks than this. And that's okay. One more or, you know, it's, you could see how that could be manipulated for propaganda. But nonetheless, the point is what I'm trying to show you is how before they was exposed, the CIA was tied to this. They were trying to get you to see how it's everywhere and they're growing and it's a global grouping that's growing and we can't control it. Where it's building and we just, just don't know how to stop it, right? That's the same thing they were pointing at. After the worst such attack in recent years, of course, here's where we get into the references I'm pointing out. The massacre of 51 people in Christchurch, New Zealand, 2019, an arm of the Azov movement helped distribute the terrorist manifesto. How is it not possible that we can't see the connection to every single one of the things they're claiming as the impetus for the U.S. version of the growing white supremacy threat ties directly to the Aza Battalion? I don't mean at, at like abstractly, directly. They were sharing his manifesto intentionally, seeking to glorify his claims, inspiring others. And of course, on top of that, remember, he was wearing the patch on his arm. In their letter to State Department in 2019, U.S. lawmakers noted that, quote, the link between Azov and acts of terror in America is clear. And yet now you're funding and arming them and allowing them to fight in Ukraine. How do you make sense of that? 
You don't is the point. You either pretend this article isn't here because fake news or whatever you want to tell yourself, or you acknowledge that there's a contradictory action happening here. You, you can't have both. It's not like in the, in the process of a year, they literally became something different. That's ridiculous. And by the way, it's on the record, not even true. But the point is that how can you see that and not see that you're being lied to? Or, I mean, at the very least, if you want to take it at face value, ask yourself why it would make sense that you can scream that they're literally responsible for acts of terror inside this country, like what they referenced in Charlottesville and whatever else. <clears throat> and yet they're okay to be cheered on by Facebook right now, or you're allowed to arm them, or they're the defenders of Mariupol. It just doesn't make sense. Among Azov's closest American allies has been the rise above movement. Exactly. Of their closest allies, which was the big point that grew the discussion of the white supremacy threat that was laid at the feet of Donald Trump. It even says that in this article. A far-right gang, some of whose members were charged by the FBI with a series of violent attacks in California. The group's leader, we've already discussed, Robert Rundo, has said his idea for the Rise Above movement came from Ukraine's far-right scene. He said, quote, This is always my whole inspiration for everything. He told a right-wing podcast in September 2017, referring specifically to the Azov Battalion as the future. This is not just a coincidental thing. They really have the culture out there, he said. Quote, they have their own clubs, they have their own bars, they have their own dress style. It says the main recruitment center for Azov Battalion, Azov Movement, Known as the Cossack House, guess what? Stands right in the center of Kiev. Not just Mariupol, not just one small militia group, the Azov Movement, International Scope, and a huge recruiting center on top of all of it, you know, aside from their publication outlets where they produce media, is in the center of Kiev. So maybe there was truth of Putin trying to push into Kiev, and they, you know, who knows? The point is that that's not what we're being told by the Western press. On the ground floor is a shop called the Militant Zone. Which, by the way, guys, this is right now, by the way. Okay, so this is a huge group in, in the, the center of Kiev. And in the store they have, in the recruitment center and the store they have in that recruitment center, according to Time Magazine, has a shop called the Militant Zone, which sells clothes and keychains with swastikas and other neo-Nazi merchandise. Okay, this is one of those points where you have to go, okay, this is not just some hypothetical thing from four years ago or whatever you want to frame it as. If right now, in the middle of this whole thing, they have a store, or at least before whatever happened in the area, if this was affected by it, if they're selling neo-Nazi and swastika keychains, this is not some side small thing of, you know, whether he has different ideology. This is an immersed concept amongst their group at the very least. That's clear. And it says, right, as you can see, the on a tour of the Cossack House, the Time Magazine said Azov's mission was to form a coalition of the far right across the Western world with the ultimate aim of taking power throughout Europe. Maybe some of these European leaders should speak, should think about that for a second and realize that they might be next. <clears throat> it might seem ironic for this hub of white nationalists to be situated in Ukraine. Here's the interesting part that we're hearing today. At one point in 2019... It was the only nation in the world, apart from Israel, to have a Jewish president and a Jewish prime minister. Think about that. But in the context of the white supremacist movement globally, Azov has no rivals on two important fronts, its access to weapons and its recruiting power. Oh, I guess we're just going to skip right past that whole point about the Jewish president. Yeah, the only, at one point, it was the only one that had it moving forward. <laughs> it's like, okay. So if, you, if you're out there screaming that this isn't true, even though literally the same media outlets are saying is true right here, because you have a Jewish president, you're stupid. Because not only is it obvious that that's 
doesn't shouldn't even make a difference, seeing as how that wasn't something that stopped Jewish people from work, was assisting the Nazis in World War II. Or Jew, I mean, there's a lot of different things we've talked about. It's just a stupid argument that's meant to make people look racist by calling them racist because they dare to say the truth. The bottom line is, you whether or not he's Jewish is the point is that they're very clearly what they say that they are. So that's it's, and they're even pointing it out right here. The movement arose as a product of the revolution that swept Ukraine in 2014. Exactly. So the U.S.-backed regime change that made this happen, and which they knew were U.S. government-backed entities that were shooting people, and they blamed it on the other side. That's what started this movement. Shocking, I know. A CIA-backed resolute revolution became the impetus for the CIA-backed group. Oh, weird. In one of their first official acts after that, the U.S.-backed regime change, the revolution leaders granted amnesty to 23 prisoners, including several prominent far-right agitators. They included, guess who? Bolesky, an, an open neo-Nazi entity who has spent the previous two years in jail on charges of attempted murder. He maintained that the case against him was politically motivated as part of an unfair crackdown and blah, blah, blah. Okay, the point is, that person came back in 2014. Then he left, I think, I forget what the date was, 16, 17. And they said, see, that's when it all changed. He went away and he's no longer part of it, except now he's back in the leadership right this moment. As we pointed out the other day, here's the Stanford Center for International Security Cooperation discussing the Alza Battalion, last updated 2022. I might make points in this as we go forward. I forget if there's anything else in here. But of course, just showing you the, where is it? Leadership, he's right there at the top. Now, of course, this doesn't reference the part that he came back into it, but it does discuss it up in here about the fact that he did now is presently back in the group. It's very it's on the record. They just don't really focus on it. Right. Because they want to just like when they go, we blocked the weapon sales. No, you didn't. It came right back. But you don't point at that part of it. Goes on to say that he spent years in jail. He maintained that the case. Okay, then it goes on to say Bolesky's nickname within the group. Don't forget, he's currently in the leadership was. White ruler. That was his nickname. And his manifesto seemed to pluck its narrative straight from Nazi ideology. Ukrainian nationalists, it said, must, quote, lead the white nations of the world in a final crusade of their survival, a crusade against the Semite-led German term for subhumans. Here's where I got this picture from, by the way, and just don't, you know, the point of showing this was, one, that these are all open wolf's angel symbols, as the as the Aza Battalion always uses, but they have a couple of neo-Nazi symbols on their shirts, but also the child being marched along with them, but also, of course, this very clear swastika adaptation on this guy's hat. No, no big deal. It's not like it's right on the surface and anything. <clears throat> now, and of course, here is Time Magazine in, in 2021 acknowledging what their CNN plays a big game about, saying, no, it's an N and an I because they say so. No, they're telling you right here. Their banners carry the emblem derived from the Nazi symbol, the wolf's angel. <laughs> but now we don't know for sure. Th- through speeches and propaganda videos posted by on YouTube and widely shared on Facebook, the Azov movement began to cultivate an online profile and a distinctive aesthetic through YouTube and Facebook. It's weird they didn't use Gab and 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 TikTok or whatever else you want to point at, right? Why didn't they use Parler? Isn't that where they all go? No, those are just these couch stupid narratives like Tubi was pointing out where they're, you're fighting a hollow argument that's not even really there. They're creating fake things and pretending like that's everything. YouTube and Facebook allowed this to grow. They know that. That's why they're there. They're using these things. And then they make it, they couch them in places like Gab and act like that's everything. Just like we pointed out before <clears throat> during things like Charlottesville and whatever else. That's when they went after these groups, pretending like that's where they all spoke. 
except you could find the exact same shared content on Twitter. They just didn't talk about that because it was an agenda, like always. Going on, it says, a pro- this is August 2017, a procession of neo-Nazis and white supremacists marched that day through the city of Charlottesville. Right? We all heard this. Carrying torches and Confederate flags in a rally called Unite the Right. Torches and flags exactly like you saw right out of the, pay- the-, the playbook of the Azov Battalion to make a joke about their Putin playbook. The next day, one of, the t- one of them struck and killed a counter-protester with a car, which became a huge political agenda. The rally was organized, in part, on Facebook. Why didn't they censor Facebook when that happened? Why didn't they block them all the account? Because that's, <laughs> they only do that when they want to. Among its more violent participants, according to the FBI, were members of the Rise Above movement, right? Who later described Azov as the inspiration for the entire thing. Look at that. For many, the violence in Charlottesville was a watershed moment. Exactly. It was meant to be. A brazen display of how white supremacy had entered the political mainstream in the U.S. with implicit support from Donald Trump. That's not true. Implicit implies he was like, I support that. That's not what happened. That's ridiculous. That's like saying Putin threatened nuclear weapons. No, he didn't. You said he meant that, and he didn't actually, at least what I think, but he never said it explicitly. So when you guys say he threatened it, you're just making things up. So too is this. The point was to make Trump the point. So then we think about why it was all meant to be laid at Trump's feet, even though it's directly being created by the U.S. government. Because this is the point. You, America, are the focal point. You're the danger point. You're the domestic terrorist. You're the white supremacist, whether you're an anti-vaxxer or whatever else. It's all been laid together. Quote, we couldn't get any traction about the need to systemically deplatform extremist ideas until Charlottesville. Exactly. So that was when they could decide which ones were bad, which ones were good, and and just label anybody any way they wanted to and just pretend that they could delete them, right? It wasn't as clear then, but look at what's happening today. They're just coming right over the top and going, yes, we need to censor. We don't need to justify it. If we think it's hurtful, we're going to remove it. And realize it's not about being hurtful or not. It's about challenging the narrative. And that's all it comes down to. So Charlottesville was an agenda and tied right back to a CIA-grown outfit. The the Christchurch mosque attacker, which I said before, live-streamed everything on Facebook. Weird. Was it Gab? Was it Parler? No. Of course, I forget whether those places were really there. I forget the timing of when these things... Yeah, 2020. So yeah, definitely there. They claim he'd been radicalized on largely on YouTube and Facebook. And of course, uh, it says during the attack, the shooter wore the jacket wearing the Aza Battalion symbol. Going down here. But activists say it was too late. By allowing groups like Azov to thrive on its platform for years, of course, this after Facebook claimed to stop them, Facebook helped them build a global network that will not be easy to break apart. That's because that's probably the point. The U.S. government was also slow to acknowledge the danger of Ukraine's far-right militias. But by March 2018, the U.S. Congress publicly denounced the Azov Battalion, banning the U.S. government from providing any arms training or assistance to its fighters. Though largely symbolic, The move discouraged all Western military forces and especially members of the NATO alliance from training alongside the Azov fighters or indeed having anything to do with them. The point was, it was symbolic because that didn't happen. They continue to do so on the record, by the way, at least as of today, because we can prove it. They did. They didn't stop doing anything at all. So what? So did they break the law? Yes, they broke their own laws. But at the end of the day, just think about how this can be the case with what they're saying today to go so far as to say they're so dangerous and so far-reaching that we have to literally pass laws to say we can't, that nobody can train with them or use them or work with them, but now we're cheering them on because they're freedom fighters fighting for democracy. 
if just that, think about how ridiculous that is on a level that people are falling for to some degree. But again, I don't believe that's everybody. I don't even believe that's the majority. Judging by some of his posts on VK, which is a Russian platform, of course, the point was that they went over to VK because they got censored by the good guys, right? A social network that has grown in popularity among the far right as Facebook has cracked down. My point showing that, guys, is just kind of this transition. As it says, it's VK page is 100,000 subscribers hailing from around the world. I know it's subtle, and you know what? I could be wrong. I don't believe so, but my point is that they keep laying these breadcrumbs that were meant, in my opinion, to eventually tie back to some kind of Russian influence. Because, well, the U.S. government showed they weren't going to take it anymore, and so they all went over there. Like, don't forget, they're, they were little crumbs, like letting out that they're all predominantly Russian-speaking. I don't even know why that would actually make sense, seeing as how they're not necessarily from just the east of the country. You know, Donbass, Crimea being the predominantly most Russian-speaking area. But it doesn't make sense, does it? Unless there was a reason to make that the case. But in any case, guys, the bottom line is this is from 2021. You just can't see this, hear what they're saying, listen to the far-reaching description, and then listen to today and act like it adds up. Right? Here we are today. And the, the battle for Mariupol is not over. Azafal Battalion commenter says, this is this is actually what I was really looking for, but, right? Let's see. Azafal Battalion democracy. Let's see what they say. I'm not really, oh, what's this? Probably not what I think it is. Let's see. By focusing on the Oslo Battalion, we are falling into Putin's trap. <laughs> of course. See, this is interesting. I already saw this kind of talked about on, on Twitter. And my point was like, you know, you're right. We shouldn't only focus on the Oslo Battalion. First of all, the Oslo movement is what we're talking about, which we might, as well just be, we might as well just call the Ukrainian government, guys. That's my point. But it's not just about them. That's what I said in the beginning. We need to see this is larger. I'm just hyper-focused on it right now because I'm trying to get the average person to see what they really are. And it's not some neo-Nazi little group. It's, it's the CIA growing some kind of operation. What I want us to recognize, though, is it all comes back into a larger picture here about foreign policy, about regime change in Russia, about everything they're trying to accomplish. That's the real point here. You see, this article, I can almost promise you by the way it's being framed, and this is right now, that... Ukrainians of all stripes are fighting to defend their young. They're just trying to downplay what they really are. And I promise you, it's kind of very crispy looking. Basically, I, I would argue that what they're going to get into in this article would be simply to say that if they're not this big group they're making them out to be, that they, they went away back in 2015, which is kind of the running story with the Western press. Anyway, I'll let, I'll, 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 Include it just in case so you can read it. Now, also check this out, by the way, because this is the group they point out when they want to try to make Russia's problem of white supremacy seem like the biggest in the world, even though there's basically no evidence, despite this very long discussion about what these people very clearly are. Again, I just went over this in the last show. This entire group, this discussion right here, executive summary, as it says, the Alza Battalion is an extreme right nationalist paramilitary organizing base in Ukraine, right? Talking about as in 2022, the group came to prominence again, fighting in Mariupol. And it goes through and discusses, discusses what they currently are. And it's bad. And it's openly showing you what they, I mean, and why aren't they pointing at this? Because we're not supposed to talk about this right now, but you can read through this for yourself because it challenges everything they're telling you. Now I include, this is always to show you that I keep in like a one-stop shop kind of cheat sheet here where you can see that verifiable facts are that Congress made sure that they would receive arms in 2016. Which again, don't forget, 2018, they added it back, but then found more loopholes, as we just discussed. The CIA has trained them since 2015, which they've admitted to. 
There have been multiple operations ongoing there that they pretend didn't happen. We also know the FBI verified that they're neo-Nazi and that they're very clearly immersed with the government, but also that Charlottesville is the faction of them. So if we know they've trained them and we know that Charlottesville was connected to them, it's an obvious loop right back to framing the people like Trump. That's not even to suggest that I'm supporting Trump. You know my thoughts on that. It's just that that's what I think is genuinely happening, regardless of what you think about Trump. Now, here's just one of the articles where we go over this, how they built this new Al-Qaeda in Ukraine. Don't forget, though, in regard to this point, this is the one that I really think ties this back together in the minds of people, that January 6th was one of the efforts to bring this together, and they failed at it. As I called it, the failed false flag meant to blame Russia and you using the CIA-grown Daza Battalion, because they this was present, guys. This guy here and here, who is inside the Capitol with this very famous person now, with the big horn hat in January 6th, was part of the knee, was part of the Aza Battalion. I've shown you, I've gone over this in a whole show before. You, this is this is on the record, by the way. It's not just some picture. This guy is directly connected to the Ukrainian government, and he is a Ukrainian. Now, the guess what else? While he was there, it's on the record. He was screaming things and screaming, "Let's go, let's go!" in Russian. Now, you could argue that maybe that's just because he, you know, Ukrainians do speak Russian and so on, and vice versa. But when you find out this guy's tied to a lot more especially this Kolomoisky picture, the same shirt, the same point. Do you find out that there is a pl- an effort here to create the what was supposed to look like Russian, but really was a Ukraine operation? I've shown you this. Now, if you want to go, I wish I had that show. I forget which one it was. I should include that. But check our, our show notes in the past. We've gone over all this. So if you see the first connection we made, then you can see that January 6th was an attempt to make it look like that white supremacy threat had bled over into this, and then you can tie it all back and then go, look, the Russians were there leading it all, and you can see how it all loops back together. That's why I believe this got real quiet when it got very clearly exposed that there was more going on. Now, this is the point in my title I'm making. If you, disre- if you want to disregard everything else we just said, I hope you won't, but this point alone must make you think. That's why I put out a tweet. I don't do that enough these days. I keep, I've been getting tired of Twitter lately. I said, want to explain how this makes sense? As half of the mainstream media cheers on the Oslo Battalion, how are they the defenders of Mariupol without weapons? As I said before, obviously they're getting U.S. arms. That's a fact, guys. That's undeniable. They are getting U.S. arms. You can see them in the pictures. You can see them getting found in their arms. You can see them using them on their, when they, you know, in bed with the the good guys, which is really the extremists, like they do like they did in Syria. You can see them using them, and and they're getting U.S. arms, by the way, just like the rest of the extremist groups, because the other ones don't aren't listed in this document, like Right Sector, Georgia Legion, etc. They're all very openly neo-Nazi groups. They're also being in, they're a part of the Ukrainian military. But here is the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2022, the most recent, and here's what it says. None of the funds made available by this act may be used to provide arms, training, or other assistance to the Azov Battalion by name. That's right now. That is currently the reality. This is a crime, no matter what you think about it. No matter whether you think that the defenders of Mariupol and they're all freedom fighters, it's still a crime. Why doesn't that matter? Because they're rampantly lawless. And I don't know how many other ways to make this clear. Here's the source links down here. And of course, as I included this, I said the CIA has been admittedly training them since 2015. And there are numerous examples of U.S. weapons going directly to the Aza Battalion. In fact, the Western press is cheering it on. This is blatant hypocrisy, and it's also a U.S. crime. Why is the U.S. government never held to its own ostensible standards? Hmm. It's just pretty obvious, isn't it? Now, here's where I go over the discussion of 
that exact point and who they really are. And, oh, this was just the, oh, that, that's, I was waiting for that to load. Good. I'm glad I didn't forget about that. This is an important one. This is what I argue we everybody should start with, to be real about this. I mean, this is open documentation. This is a document directly from CIA.gov, which, you know, I'm skeptical about, like why they would allow that and so on. But nonetheless, you can look at the document and it shows you that they picked out of obscurity a member of the uh, the uh, Ukrainian, wow, shoot, it was the Ukrainian Nationalist Organization. That's what it was. They, they admit themselves was already dissipating. Like it wasn't even there anymore. They were basically non-existent and they picked Mykola Lebed, who, by the way, is an, an, not a neo-Nazi, a Nazi war criminal, legitimately, who, by the way, was put was arrested and going to be put to death in Poland for killing the Minister of Interior in Poland. Then when Germany invaded, this was back in, you know, a long time ago, he got away. And that's where the U.S. government stepped in and picked him up. The CIA saved him kept him from getting charged from crimes, sort of like they did with the other Nazi scientists from Project Paperclip and so on. But from 1948, they put him in place at the Prologue Company in New York, literally let him exist in New York and ran a company, which, by the way, is a crime because the CIA is not supposed to do that, but doesn't matter because they always do. And that became the impetus for the growing fascist entity that is now currently the Oliver Battalion. They grew fascism, guys. They cultivated it. They created a group that was, they were literally taking a page right out of Italian fascism. That's what they identified with. Why would they pick that if they were fighting this? Why would they grow it all the way up until today? Why would they continue to work with them? You see my point? Now, here's just a random connection. Extremist, uh, not this this guy, the extremist, apparently, James Mas- Mason. The point is, the author of the Siege books, posing recently with an Azov flag. If you haven't heard about Mason, he is the Unabomber of the far right or whatever they want to frame him as. My point is, better photo of him. He's glad to hear the news regarding Putin's decision not to storm. The point is, guys, there's a lot of people out there that are, you know, associating themselves with this because they believe in what they clearly can see is the ideology. Now, here is just another short example of an endless stream. I mean, I could do an entire four-hour show of just this kind of stuff. People coming out of Mariupol, people coming out of any one of these locations after being under the control of the Ukrainian government. Now, by the way, <clears throat> I'm going to show you, <clears throat> excuse me, a clip that shows you somebody saying something as a counterbalance. And I'm going to show you that in a second. But here is what these average people are saying. Now, what's interesting is they keep calling this Russian disinformation and fake news, which, by the way, they're not proving that. They're just saying it because they don't agree with what they're saying, and therefore it must be fake news. But these aren't people that are going up and saying, tell us what Russia did or tell us what Ukraine did. They're saying, what, what did you see? What happened? And they explain what happened. How in the world is that disinformation? Now, you could argue that that very person is not real and that they've staged the whole thing, and that's certainly possible. But again, if you're going to say that, you damn well better be able to prove it. And they never do anymore because they don't have to. But this person says, this is a citizen of Mariupol. He says, the effing Azov, they entered basements and shoot people, men, kids, men, uh, kids, men, women. And he says, and how they, and, and they raped them. They rape and toss them out and kill them. And we've heard this from other women, from other people, Ukrainians. He said, Azov, there is a great core, a green corridor. People would leave through it and bust, bust out and they would stop them. Our Ukrainian side and they'd kill them. Go back or we'll shoot you. We've heard this from a lot of people. We heard this from an American soldier that told you they were going to be shot in the back if they were left. We heard this from plenty of people leaving Mariupol. I mean, it just becomes almost impossible to not consider this at the very least. Some of them just killed without warning. A column was driving and they shelled it. We've seen evidence of this, guys. We were in captivity by our own side. How can we even explain this to people? 
Then we saw our own Ukrainian shoot at us. The man came out of the balcony to have a cigarette. Two guys on a tank were there. One said, can you get him? And the guy dropped his cig and ran back in. Just imagine, kids are playing. They drive into the courtyard with two machine guns. Some imbecile, don't know what he's smoking, gives us two bursts from his AKs. They said, why are you standing? Bend over. I just don't get their logic. Who are they fighting for? I can tell you who they're fighting for. Fighting to create a narrative. Even the government has abandoned them. They raid all apartments, take food, drop it down with ropes, whatever's left in those homes. And then on the ropes, we have some gadget to open doors. They opened all doors, took food, drag it in a towel or a sheet. People say they've been saving the cans for a case of emergency, putting food aside. They took it all, the Ukrainian government, or specifically Gaza Battalion. Now, as always, could they be lying? Yes. Could they be faked? Yes. But you should damn well be able to prove that if you're going to make such a flagrant argument about people who are clearly suffering, because that makes you a pretty gross person. Here is Patrick Lancaster. Baby stuck in Mariupol bomb shelter. Now, he talks to a couple other people, which, by the way, will say similar things about what they saw from the Oz Battalion, but here's one that I want you to see. Just to show you what I was saying the other day, my opinion is clearly that the Oz Battalion, in specifically, as I've just made clear, that pretty much the entire Ukrainian military, but that doesn't mean every individual within that point, are, are part of this problem. But just like with the U.S. military, that doesn't mean that every single person there is the same way. They're, you're going to have Americans that go overseas and despite what their people around them are doing and despite what they're ordered to do, we'll try to help people. As my point in Iraq is we have on the record by just far too many people that makes me sick of their it, as, of superiors telling them to rape people, telling them to kill women and children. I mean, it's all on the record, guys. Iraq was horrific. So was any war conducted anywhere that matter, but specifically by the U.S. government. But the point is that there are people that will help and there are people that will do horrific things because a lot of time you're not even being seen. So my point is, in this case, when I'm very clearly showing you that the leadership and most of the of the military that we keep seeing and examples, evidence, are pretty bad. And even the government before this was saying they're all very dangerous and all very disgusting. But here is an example where she's saying, in one case at least, which is very contradictory to most other cases we're hearing, that the Ukrainians helped her. But then also, after they left, so too did the Russians. Here's what she says. What can you say about the military, he asked. And this is my point. And somebody else made this before. How is it disinformation if he's just asking them comments? And you can see in many cases other media around, like, to argue this is some kind of massive stage thing is certainly possible. But again, no evidence. But it's pretty ridiculous when you can see plenty of examples of why this is not staged. But he simply goes, what do you say about the military? About Ukraine, Russian, or DPR? Just generally asking. She says, Ukraine once came and helped us some time ago when they were here. She, then she says, says then they were all kicked out to the railway station, which shows you clearly they're not, you know, it's not going the way that they're framing it in the Western press, but it says, so now Russian military help us.
It says they, they brought diapers and wet wipes for the baby. Yesterday, I was already crying from diapers, which would imply that she wasn't getting any of these things while the Ukrainians were there. But she says, when did I cry from diapers? I buy them myself when I get salary. She actually breaks down in this video. It's kind of emotional because she's been struggling with this baby in this. I mean, it's pretty ridiculous to see where they are. I mean, they're living in this little shelter under the, under these basements because in most cases, that's and you can they'll say this. That's where they were driven to by the Ukrainian military. And then they use these locations to fight from. And then when they get bombed, when they're attacked, they say Russia bombed these civilians. I mean, that just keeps getting shown. But the point is that in this case, she's saying, yeah, they, the, the Ukraine have helped us. They didn't kill them. It didn't hurt them. They helped us. But then so too did the Russians. It just simply shows you that it's not all encompassing. And all they want you to do is be childish about this. and Just pick a narrative and go with it. Now, here's what Task and Purpose is trying to do to undermine this very honest person, in my opinion, out there trying to ask, find the truth. Patrick Lancaster describes himself as an independent journalist. Critics say, now why would you even say that? Like, because you're not saying, like the point would be, like, bottom line, critics say he's a foot soldier for Moscow's information war against Ukraine. Is there any evidence about that? That's just bad journalism. They're only doing that because they're they're towing a line. You don't, you don't, a journalist doesn't go, these unnamed people we won't even talk about, they suggest he's a bad guy. It's just dumb. That's just bad journalism. How a former U.S. Navy sailor became a Putin propagandist. Oh, you know that? Certainly says it right in the title, doesn't it? It's not. Read it for yourself. It's gross. It's horrific to say this. The bottom line is they don't know. But they'll love to theorize in a really long article about how this guy is a Putin shill because he walks up and says, what's happening? And how dare you record people saying things that go against the narrative? That means you're a shill because you ask a, brand, a bland, opaque question. What happened to you? And then this is what they, everybody else reports while Patrick and everybody else are out there getting the real information for you. Or at least what I believe is the real information. We get this kind of garbage. Oh, of course. Oh, it's one of these, oh, damn it. These articles that update on you. Well, here's what it said before. Oh, he does still say that. I've, you know, I forget about this. Some of these new articles they're doing with these weird, like CNN does this, where they update the new things. What happens is you share the, the link and then the title changes. Like the next day, the title will be different and it doesn't even make sense anymore. That's the same thing with like the edit, the Twitter edit button. Like they're like revising what they did. And that's, that's, there's an agenda around that guys. But my point nonetheless is it's about the rockets. Missile attack kills five in Odessa, right? This is the newest thing being blamed on Russia with no evidence. And where does it come from? An advisor. The advisor. The same one you're thinking about. A presidential advisor to Ukraine says five people, including a three-month-old infant, were killed. That's horrific if it's real. If it happened or if it happened and they are the ones that did it, who knows? Because all you get, as I said, an advisor to Ukraine president says, hashtag Ukraine says. That's, that's their journalism today. Ha Ukraine said this. We don't know, though. We don't know for sure. And And... The ones that are even slightly better than the rest will actually say that. We couldn't independently confirm this. Let's see. Nope, didn't say that in this one. But the point is that they're just repeating what they're telling you. Let's see. Let's find the missile part. Here. An advisor to Ukraine's president says, great job, Associated Press. Five people, including a child, were killed. Ukraine presidential chief of staff. That's who we're talking about. Provided the information. An advisor to Ukraine's interior minister, you know, the Oz of Italian, said Russia forces fired at least six cruise missiles at the city. They prove it? No. 
I'll take their word for it, though. A Telegram post. Woo, this is some good journalism, guys. Forces were able. Now, when, we, when people like us point to Telegram posts, they go, how stupid. These guys don't know how to be journalists. Residents of the city heard explosions in different areas. Right. So residents heard stuff. So was, that means Russia. Can we not acknowledge that this very easily could have been Ukraine doing it themselves to blame Russia? Yes, they'll happily say that's possible when they, Russia, Russia could do that. They'll false flag everywhere. But then when you frame false flags on this side, you're a conspiracy theorist. The point is, these people have already been caught making things up, like Bucha, like the train station. They're getting caught. The media is just not framed. They just jump past it and don't want to digest the information because it shows you they're lying. Hashtag Ukraine says. Start doing that with everything they post. Because if, if that's what it says, though, read it. Make sure it says that. If all they have is Ukraine says, that's all. That's hashtag Ukraine says. That's it. That means you should ignore it because you don't know. You guys are ridiculous, clownish journalists out there just yelling what they tell you to say. That's not journalism. That's propaganda. And don't forget who the advisor is, this guy. The commander of ISIL are considered some of the more wise and successful commanders that are out there today. This, that, that's this guy. Now we have a lot of garbage coming from people that are supposed to be experts on Russia, which you'll pretty much find throughout history that the, the Syrian experts have never even been to Syria or the Iraq experts. Like these are just these are intelligence op, op, operatives, in my opinion. But here's his intelligent dialogue. Putin is an evil dictator, period. Zelensky is a good Democrat, period. When analyzing this war, please don't forget these facts. They act like you're six years old. They think you're only as smart as a six-year-old. I mean, think about This is actually pretty funny. You guys know what I do. I make fun of this all the time. This is him writing out verb, almost verbatim how I make fun of them. Because Russia, good guy. U.S. US good guy. Russia, bad guy. It's right there. This is some, pro, this is some professor level di, uh, you know, insight on the realities of the deep and hard to understand this situation. <laughs> it's, as, it's as simple as that. He's an evil dictator and he's a good Democrat. That's the fact. Them's the facts, guys. He probably believes this. Now, my point is this, is, is Putin good or bad? I mean, it's not as simple as that. He's a government entity, and I don't trust any of them. Has he done terrible things? 100%. Is he capable of doing evil things this kind of 100% if he thought it was in his best interest? It's just, it's ridiculous just to go, hey, he's an evil dictator. If you think Putin's an evil dictator, then damn right, so too is Biden. So too is Macron. So too is every single Boris and every other one of them, because on the record, Biden, Trump, Obama have done far, 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 far more obviously damaging things over and over and over and over and over, bombing and killing and murdering around the world and destroying countries and completely destabilizing it everywhere. But because of what we say Putin does, he's the biggest evil dictator around. In no way does that mean he's not dangerous or maybe not just as bad as the ones over here. But to just pretend it's that simple is so stupid it makes my teeth hurt. This guy's a child. Zelensky's a good Democrat, except the fact that the very groups that you're pointing at are literally yelling about how they don't think democracy or liberalism will do anything, and we have to stop that around the world. That's what the Oz of Italian is openly saying. And this guy either is too dumb to see it or doesn't care. Zelensky's a good Democrat, except he's building something that's literally fighting against your idea of what's happening. Because what they're actually thinking of is what they're being told to think by CNN or whoever else. Because this, quote, professor thinks that an intelligent person trusts what the CNN tells them to drink. Like, that's, that's the reality today. And I mean, I'm guessing at that. 
But I, I see this building around where people just trust the narrative because that's what good people do. That's what smart people do. That's brainwashing. And as Caitlin points out, disregard Western Russian pundits. Just dismiss them. They're worse than someone who knows nothing about anything. I agree with that. Here's another one. My humble advice to NATO. Now, guys, think about how alarming this is. Coming from somebody who's supposed to be regarded as an expert on Russia. My humble advice to NATO would be give all the arms you can to a Ukraine. You know, break the law. Keep going. Open the Black Sea ports of Ukraine for normal shipping. Number three, you know, just go ahead and bomb relevant Russian cities preventively. Bethlehem doctrine, you know how it goes, because they're a threat and we know it, to make sure that Putin does not use chemical arms or nukes. Great. So openly attack Russia's cities, which will literally immediately begin World War III, because that will not stop. I mean, it's ridiculous to stop him from using the things that then will be forced to be, that you'll probably use because he attacks back. Like, remember, the only entity that has a strike first policy in this dynamic is the U.S. government. So if they strike Russian cities and Russia fights back, they'll probably release the same things. And let's not pretend like the Ukrainian Azov Battalion extremists would not go haywire in that situation, using whatever they have on the Donbass region, using them, and it would all be blamed on Russia. You know that. They're not proving anything right now. This guy is literally saying, without anything to, to, to justify it from a U.S. perspective or a NATO perspective, because Ukraine is not part of NATO, to just bomb Russian cities because Zelensky claimed this is going to happen with no evidence, and Putin never even suggested that he would use either of those things. Wake up, we're at this stage. Good God. And then, of course, deletes it. But we're the bad guys, right? We're the sense, We're the conspiracy theorists. Here's Eva Bartlett, by the way. More scenes of Colin Mariupol today, as on, she's now on the ground, will upload tomorrow. And for those in the podcast, I actually wouldn't even say that for worry that she, you know, safety and all that, but she had posted on her, on her own account. I'm sure she has her own protection. More scenes of calm in Mariupol today, she says. This is on the 22nd. We'll upload tomorrow. Reminiscent of Syria. Now, this is going to challenge what you're hearing. Terrorists occupy civilian areas. Media focuses on destruction without context, of course, as if any destruction, therefore, is Russia. Calm returns without media emphasis. Western media don't actually care about civilians. It exists to shape public opinion. Now, her point in general, remember what happened in Syria? How they kept going, oh, no, we can't allow Assad to have control. He'll just start murdering everybody. And then what happened was the exact opposite. The people could not get to his controlled areas fast enough. They fled into his control and then in those areas immediately returned to peace. And they just didn't point at that. That in and of itself, like a Sweden COVID scenario, utterly destroyed their narrative. And she's seeing the same thing. Where Russia's in control, things are getting back to normal, it would seem. Now here is Mick Wallace pointing out the reality of what she said in the beginning, that sanctions as they know, because they wrote it down before we got to this point in history, like, you know, back when there wasn't the internet and things, they were, these things are all on the, written down. They know sanctions are meant to hurt people, so they revolt in their government. That's the point of sanctions. So his point is, are sanctions that we're using right now hurting Russia or hurting the European people? And, if, and they're hurting both. And the question is, who's being hurt more by them? And if it's hurting the European people more, why does this make sense? Of course, logic isn't what they like. They'll just skip right over logic, you know. I've been listening to the uh, guest speakers. Uh, my first question to them is, uh, is there any concern that the sanctions 
may be going to have a greater impact on the citizens of Europe than it will on the Russian government or its capacity to continue with the illegal invasion. My second question is, has there been any accurate estimate done of, in the case of the sixth phase of sanctions, in introducing an immediate embargo on oil, all oil and gas from Russia, has there been any estimate done of the level of loss of jobs in Germany alone? Thank you very much. Um, in re- right, before he answers, think about that. Just like we talked about 5G, whatever else. You guys do any studies on whether it's going to hurt people? No, no. So we're flying blind? Yeah, okay. Let's keep going. Yeah, that's that's the actual process of Congress today. So we acknowledge that we're all going to die. But yeah, but, but, but agenda though. And, you know, money. So let's keep going. So his point is, have we even looked in to whether or not we're hurting us more than them? Or are we looking into whether we're just having this un- unbelievable loss of jobs and, 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 uh, and you know, f- food, an increase in food scarcity and all these things because of our actions? And it's not even, you know, this is his answer. I can't stand these kind of garbage political responses. Um, in response to... Um... Mr. Loiseau and Mr. Wallace, of course, we, we do take into account the specificity of each member states of the dependencies they have on, on, on Russian fossil fuels, and those are taken into account to avoid any disproportionate impacts um, when, when sanctions are, are being uh, put in place. Oh, okay. So you looked at it to avoid what's already happening. Right. So he's asking, are we looking, are we aware of whether this is hurting them or more? And it is, by the way, that's a fact. Right now, people in Europe and the United States and everywhere else around the world, but it, and specifically the, the um, stopping of, the, of the, the, the fuel and resources coming out of Russia is affecting specifically Germany, but Europe way more than most. And his point, are we even considering that like, and, and what's happening to them? And he's just like, yeah, we looked into it to make sure that it wouldn't happen. But it's already happening, though. Okay, so how does that even make sense? Right? I mean, that's what's ridiculous. His statement means nothing. We looked at it to make sure the thing that's happening wouldn't happen. Thanks, guys. Everybody go home. Okay, so you, so you, did, you saw it, but you don't care? Is that your response? Apparently. So we are doing things that knowingly hurt us more than them, or how you want to frame that. It's, this is the reality where we are, because I argue that's the point. They want to hurt you. They want to hurt, they have this affect you. That's the point, guys. I never believed that NATO was there to safeguard peace and security in Europe. And if people thought that it was established for that, it certainly never succeeded in delivering that. It was sort of a, um, I suppose, the other side of the Cold War. Um, NATO has never brought peace anywhere uh, in the world. In actual fact, it's kind of there to solve the problems that it creates. And I think you see that very graphically in countries like Libya, where they have succeeded in decimating uh, that country and others. So they are uh, not a force for peace at all, not just in this crisis, but in the ones before that. Europe talks about wanting to be more autonomous, but what has emerged since the Russian invasion of Ukraine is that all idea of European autonomy has gone out the window and they are behaving like a vassal of the United States, quite literally, that their own economic 
and security interests are being sacrificed for US interests really against Russia because it's demonstrably in the interests of the citizens of the whole of Europe, including first and foremost the citizens of Ukraine, that we would live in peace on our continent with Russia, that we would do business, exchange cultures and trade and economics and live in harmony. And the only way that can be done is in a security arrangement, not against Russia, but with Russia. But sadly, everything that Europe is doing is the opposite of that. They've become, you know, while most member states are in NATO, a number aren't. This war will have the impact of driving more of them into NATO, which while they talk about that being more uh, strategic for Europe, it actually lessens Europe's strategic independence. My opposition to sanctions are primarily based on the fact that they don't work. They have never in history succeeded in stopping a military assault. Or because they're not supposed to. Right. That's and that she believes the same thing. She said as much. They're not supposed to. And that's why they've never succeeded. Yet they somehow managed to continue to use them every time under the idea that we absolutely know they'll do the thing that they've never done before. Because they know better and they want you to think the lie. Are achieving regime change and um, they won't be a deterrent. The idea that Europe would cut its links to Russian energy supplies, which is what the US have wanted. It would mean hundreds of thousands, probably millions of Europeans losing their jobs. And let's remember, none of these measures will have any impact on saving a single Ukrainian life, but it will devastate the European economy. So th that is why I oppose them. Um, they don't do what they say they'll do. They're a punitive measure in this instance, collective punishment which will not succeed in doing anything except weakening really the European economy at the moment and maybe, you know, uh, and certainly inflicting hardship on ordinary people. And collective punishment is a notable war crime. That's exactly what Israel does in Palestine every time they, they, they act in that regard. And as she's pointing out, that's what's happening because they are punitive. And don't forget that a single country applying sanctions, whether that's China, Russia or the United States, is, a, is illegal. I mean, it's not allowed. It's it's unilateral sanctions. That used to be acknowledged, but now we just don't care. It's it's ridiculous. Now, going forward, as this, as this points out, and this is this clip the, uh, with the general, I believe, we, we not the same clip, but the, the general we've played before. And it's just interesting because it's he's pointing out something that I find very, very relevant in regard to where this is actually going. And this gets into the next point about what Turkey recently said. But let's listen to this clip first. As it says, I think the sad truth of the matter is that this is a proxy war in which we're sending large numbers of Ukrainians to die without any real hope that it will attain anything of importance to them. Now, I would argue largely that these people are not necessarily the actual organic on the ground Ukrainians, but by and large, I should say, but some of them who you know are manipulated by it. Nonetheless, that's kind of an irrelevant point. The reality is the proxy war, right? That this was not meant to fight for anything other than creating a quagmire for Russia to drain their resources and potentially lead to a regime change, which is not even, this was like their open stated policy, by the way. Okay. Let's see. So the last one we talked about with this this one was him talking about, oh, that's right, the, the same kind of thing, challenging the idea 
Let me grab this real quick. I'm trying to remember the other one too. It was also on Fox News, I believe, challenging the narrative around the Azov Battalion specifically and what Ukraine was really doing and, and all the information around uh, the fake news. That was one of the big ones, like the fact that they were debunking all the information they were sending out. And it's that easy to see. Very obvious. Here's a clip. Often in the past that weapons that we send to a war zone might wind up in the wrong places. Well, I think there is some concern. And right out of the gate, sorry, but the wrong places or the places that we intended them to go and we plausible deniability and act like, oops, we accidentally armed ISIS, are bad, right? You can decide for yourself what really happened there. Concern, but not enough to uh, stop the hemorrhage of uh, material and money into Ukraine. We've had terrible problems in the past with accounting for where weapons and ammunition go. We saw that in Southeast Asia. We've seen it in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I think we can say with some certainty that many of these weapons will end up in the hands of people we'd rather never see them in. But that aside, if you listen to what President Biden said today, he's conveying the impression that any of this will change the outcome. It will not. What's happening right now in the Donbass is the final annihilation of what remains of Ukraine's best forces. And that's quite a bit different than what you're hearing. And I'm not saying you trust that, but it's interesting how this is what he believes, and it seems like a diametric opposite of what you're hearing from most of the media. Down in the southeastern corner of the country. Uh, they, they can't change that. Remember, the distance from Poland to the battlefront is roughly the same as the distance between St. Louis and New York City. Right. His point is that they're, they're all these billions of dollars of funds and arms and weapons they're dumping into the area aren't going to stop what's ultimately happening. So, and they know that. And you should know that because we've already made this clear. This not, they want the insurgency. They want the quagmire where Russia has to deal with an ongoing, forever, never-ending insurgency that's being funded and armed and grown by the CIA and the U.S. government. That's what they've been saying long before we ever got here. So now that it seems to be exactly what's happening, and that's exactly what it's, we need to recognize, this is obvious. They don't have the infrastructure. to. Looks like there's something going on with Odyssey. I'm not sure. Just a heads up for those that... Maybe let people know that are on that platform that something just went wrong all of a sudden. I'm not sure why it's not working, but we'll continue. Train people. They don't have the infrastructure to sustain the equipment, and then they've got to move it. I'm afraid the only thing we're doing is escalating tensions with Russia and turning western Ukraine into a large target set for Russian missiles, rockets, and uh, airstrikes. I, 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 this is also sad for so many people, mostly the Ukrainian civilians caught in the middle of it. Are we making life better for them? It seems like we're fighting to the last Ukrainian, to me. Well, we are. And, and the thing is, I, I really think the president... You can tell this is an important segment because of how furrowed his brow is, right? It's real serious. And his supported, uh, supporting advisors believe that somehow or another they're going to arrive at a negotiating table in the future where they will be able to dictate terms to Moscow. And that's not going to happen. I don't actually believe that. I just don't believe that. I don't believe that they they want to negotiate at all. It's just like they do with anybody else. Oh, it looks like Odyssey just came back on. That's good. It, you know, like like look at Iran. Look at look at what's happening with the JCPOA. I mean, they 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 never operate in good faith. And they and in this case that we oh we're just about to reach a deal and then Israel bombs something and then they go oh, Iran did it and then all of a sudden it all blows up in their face. That it's it's clear that they never really want to reach these agreements. Look at the Houthis, look at Saudi Arabia. Every time something like that happens and they just kick it off and say it's their fault. Why would they want to come to an agreement with Russia if they want if if, if what I believe is happening is the case? That's not a proof of any kind, but 
it's obvious that they're undermining the situation. I mean, there's so many other ways they could have made some kind of an agreement here already by crossing every red line imaginable and dumping weapons into exactly the place you said you wouldn't is not doing that. <laughs> That's creating the reason for the problem. And if there is no negotiated settlement, then Western Ukraine just becomes a firing range. Anytime they see any evidence for significant military uh, equipment show up, they'll destroy it right. from a distance because the Russians have never been interested in crossing the Dnieper River. They were always interested in destroying the Ukrainian forces. That job's about through. Oh, look at that yet again. Right now, again, you, you could argue he's wrong, but I made this point from the beginning. That's exactly what he said he was going to do. So all this argument about how he failed and they pushed him back from the areas that he never really went into, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. What he seems to be doing is what he always said he was going to be doing. And you could argue that that's a lie and that he lost and that's how he covered it, but you don't know that, do you? And neither do I. So let's not pretend we have facts here. What we do know is what he said and what we can see. And when those things add up, you have no real other option but to go, well, that looks like what's happening, but I can question it. For you to just to go, nope, fake news. What happened is exactly what nobody can see and nobody can prove. It's just because media said so. That makes you a child <laughs> because there's nothing other than your choice politically to believe what these liars are telling you. Uh, so I think the, the sad truth of the matter is that this is a proxy war in which we're sending large numbers of Ukrainians to die without any real hope that will attain anything of importance to them. Right, exactly. And remember what we've talked about many times. The future of war is proxy war. I've been saying that for a decade. It's, it's, I mean, that's the transition of where this seems to be obviously going. Now, here's antiwar.com. Dave DeCamp pointing out, Turkey says some NATO members want longer Ukraine war to hurt Russia. And this is not even a secret, guys. This is just reiterating what's already been discussed, even by U.S. entities. Like, this is about creating, even that foreign policy article, from the CIA's perspective, argues that what they want is a long, drawn-out insurgency which, by the way, can only exist as an insurgency if they control the area and they're fighting back from within. Contro Russia controls the area. Right now, if we're just talking about invasion, it's not an insurgency. So how can they plan for an insurgency eight years ago? How would they possibly even know that would happen? Like, it's because this has been driven into reality. And they've also on the record said many times that's what they ultimately want is to create the situation that drains Russia's resources, to draws them into these different multiple proxy wars. That's what's obviously happening. As it says in an interview on Wednesday, and don't forget, Turkey is a NATO member. Turkish foreign minister. Oh, I, I forgot how to pronounce his name. Kavosulu. That might be right. Correct me in the chat. I, I remember looking and making sure I said this right back in the day. Last time we talked about it. Kavosulu, maybe, I think. But in any case, the foreign minister of Turkey uh, said some NATO member states want their war in Ukraine to last longer as a way to hurt Russia, which, by the way, means that you don't care even remotely about the consequences for the average person, the consequences for the country of Ukraine, the consequences for the infrastructure of Ukraine. They don't care. That's always been the case, and it's the case for all of them. This is just somebody being honest about it. That's my opinion. Quote, there are countries within NATO who want the war to continue. They want Russia to become weaker. According to Iran's uh, outlet, Kavasulu did not uh, think that the war would last long after Russia and Ukraine held peace talks in Istanbul last month. But following a NATO foreign minister's meeting, he was given the impression that some alliance members don't want the war to end. Exactly. I'm surprised he's even admitting this. The point is that they have some kind of a fake peace talk discussion, and his impression was, gee, we're about to end this right now. 
Then they get together without the peace talk, without the involvement of the other side. And they go, no, we need to make sure this goes on forever. At least that's what he's saying he got from it as a NATO member. Because, guys, that's what's happening. In my opinion, it's obvious. It's about maintaining this insurgency forever or as long as they can, like they're still doing in Syria. It's, it's all it's their stated policy at this point. We're going to continue to keep Syria destabilized as long as we want to forever until we get what we want. Burn their wheat fields, steal their oil, let the people starve, and we'll blame it on Assad. That's what they do. Since Russia invaded on February 24th, the U.S. and many of its NATO allies have abandoned diplomacy with Russia. Instead of seeking a diplomatic solution, the Western powers are pouring weapons into Ukraine and waging an economic sanctions campaign against Russia. We all see this happening. They're just framing this as the good thing, right? Going last paragraph, it says the view among some NATO members on the war was summarized by a recent report from the Washington Post. The report said, quote, for some in NATO, it's better for the Ukrainians to keep fighting and dying than to achieve a peace that comes too earlier, too high a cost to Kiev and the rest of Europe. This is my point from before. They're just they're loudly saying the quiet part out loud right now. They're shifting this. Censorship is good. You guys are conspiracy theorists. We're going to arrest you because you're dangerous. You're an anti-vaxxer means you're a white supremacist. I mean, they're just coming hard with this stuff right now. The idea that they literally just said exactly what we're talking about. That, well, I mean, doesn't that exactly say that you don't, that basically it's more important to maintain this because of everyone's general safety, the kind of all of Europe. Therefore, we're going to let Ukrainians keep dying in a situation we know they won't win. Yes, that's exactly what Washington Post said it. This, the, the foreign, the NATO member said it. It's pretty obvious what's going on. Here we are. U.S. troops in Poland are training Ukrainians on how to use weapons sent by the West. Because it's, if it happens in Poland, it's not, it's not, it's okay. <laughs> Nobody buys that. Nobody, and Putin doesn't care if it's in Poland. It's obviously dumb. They're trying to pretend like, because it's not only in Poland. They're in Ukraine right now, fighting alongside them, training with them. Just like they were in Yemen, just like they were in Syria. We've proven this stuff over the years. And I've already proven this since 2015, before even that. These, the last articles from the Daily Beast and the Time Magazine both admitted that they've not only have advisors, they've got military personnel on the ground. And now it just changes because we want to shift the narrative. Oh, no, no, we're in training in Poland over here. Because CNN just toes whatever they're told. That's just the ridiculous nature of the reality where they are. Richard Matters points out, Ukraine is on track to receive more money and weaponry from the United States than even Israel. Because don't forget, that's the new Israel. That's what Israel's clearly involved with. That's $3.4 billion so far out of your pocket while you could barely feed your family because of what they did to you, not the other way around. Made all the more volatile when you don't even know where it's going. This is even CNN. What happens to weapons sent to Ukraine? The U.S. doesn't really know. You know why they say that? They want you to know they don't know? Plausible deniability. Because they know that legally speaking, Getting it, doing this and having it even go to them even indirectly is against the law. They know that. They don't care. So they've created a situation where they can go, oh, we don't even know. We're just fighting for freedom over here. Always would rather look incompetent than criminal. Breaking! Ukrainian President Zelensky says his country apparently needs $7 billion a month to account for economic losses. Sure, Biden's going to go, right, why not? $7 billion a month? Why not? Let's keep pumping our money over there as we're literally struggling in every possible way because you won't even do things for American people right now. Go ahead and take it on the chin, guys. Price is going up and we're going to send $7 billion. I mean, I would be very surprised if they actually sent $7 billion a month. I mean, that's crazy. But 
they keep seemingly sending lots and lots of money over and over, almost $4 billion. And the idea is that this is something that Zelensky, everything he stood up and yelled about, they've done for him. So who knows? Now to finish off here, guys, this is all leading into some very interesting things. We can see the reality of this. Hopefully anybody honest with themselves can see what's really going on. But this is bigger than just what's happening in Ukraine, as my point from the beginning. Right on track to finish with two hours. So this is interesting. As Cyrus points out, Israel jumping ships. Here's the article. Israel adds the one. Interesting. The 206 billion reserves in philosophy change. Canadian, Australian, Japanese currencies also added to the basket. Oh, look at that. Quietly looks like Israel's over here going like, I'm going to hedge my bets with China too. Which, by the way, is not actually that secret because, as Corbett's pointed out, Israel's like a funnel of U.S. weapons and research and technology right into the hands of China. It's not even very secret and act like we're fighting each other on the surface, which they are to some degree. But as always, guys, there's much more going on. The Wuhan lab and everything else, connections to all of them, France, the United States. There's a bigger picture underneath everything, underneath the partisan politics they use to manipulate people. This simply shows me that there's more shifting here and the directions will change and it's not about the narratives they spin in front of you. Now, we also know that they're really screaming about this big food shortage coming, right? And by the way, I do believe it is actually coming and it's not just because of natural things, though. I would argue almost entirely not because of them. Here's uh, National Geographic. War in Ukraine could plunge the world into food shortages. You know, it's not the burning of wheat fields over here or the robbing of this over here or the destroying of the Oh, it's just this one location which definitely is having an effect. But the interesting thing is you'll get into stuff like fertilizers. Even though we just showed you that Union Pacific made this arbitrary deciding movement that just stopped like 90% of it from flowing and it was only specific groups, there was no logic to it other than stopping fertilizer from flowing. That makes sense, doesn't it? During a food shortage, right? Well, they don't want to get into that though. Just do Ukraine, does it all. Ukraine, here's New York Times. Ukraine war threatens to cause a global food shortage. Russia's invasion unleashes perfect storm in global agriculture. It's interesting. Now, just from a U.S. perspective, here's something that's been circulating. And I'm sure most of you already seen it. This has been around for at least a week, I think, and I haven't gotten to it. But just in case you didn't see it, here's a breakdown of a, of a thread. Several very large food processing plants in the U.S. have blown up, burned down in the past few days. I know it could just be some really horrific and terribly time coincidence, sure. Or it could be some very honest and directed, focused agenda. I should honest, I didn't mean honest in that sense, but like real, right? That we're staring at them during what's supposed to be a food crisis, attacking food infrastructure. Now, maybe this will get framed as another false flag and it'll be blamed on Russia. They were the ones attacking all these. Maybe they actually are. Who ultimately knows? But what we do see is a manufactured, engineered event like the fertilizer, like what's happening with the information, like the gas price, like everything else that they've driven into reality. And then some actions from some entity is being taken I just don't think this can, I don't see how it can be coincidence to directly target this. Seven injured, explosion, food engulfs food plant. This is a fire destroyed the headquarters of the largest independent food distributor in the United States, and there's barely any coverage of it. Isn't that interesting? All these fires and bombs and explosions, oh, it's very strange. Last month, the Walmart distribution center. Very strange. All this was like a very short period of time. 50,000 pounds of food destroyed after fire ripped through these kind of areas. Now, my thought was, how frequent are these fires? Like, go back to like 2019 and search for this. Are there are they common? I really don't know. I don't think so. My gut would say no. I mean, this is these seem like pretty large and catastrophic, catastrophic events. Just trying to be objective and wonder whether or not maybe there's a lot of fires. And they're always there. I don't think that's the case. But my point should be that this should be questioned. 
Same like same like with the heart attack stuff that nobody is, which tends to kind of suggest there's more going on. Rio Fresh's onion warehouse damaged in fire. Taylor Farms on fire. Weird. Huge fire breaks out at the Carry Four Logistics Center in northern Taiwan. Union. This was the Union Pacific one. Meanwhile, Union Pacific is throttling rail shipments of fertilizer during prime planting season. When you, I, I went over the story. It's something like eighty to ninety percent of all the all the the what was the crop? I'm forgetting all of a sudden. But basically, this is going to have a dramatic and very focused effect on the thing we need right now more than anything. And it's arbitrary. It's completely selective. Twenty-seven million chickens, turkeys are counted are being cold because of bird flu. Interesting timing. Or rather, the fear mongering around it. Crew battled for sixteen hours at a beef and pork plant with a huge fire. Now, here's one that we that's been circulating. I think I've got it up somewhere. Oh, just this is another one. Several very large food processing plants in the U.S. have blown up, burned down just in the last few days. Here's a Newsweek article about it. It's very real. It's very clearly happening. I'll come back to this this kind of compilation link. Oh, that's the last one. The North Carolina city of Winston-Salem is asking people within one mile of a raging blaze of a fertilizer plant. So not only that they're stopping the flow of it, they're, they're, some plants are burning down. Weird. Here is the kind of compilation. Just, you know, just take a quick moment. Take a screenshot. All these are different fires. Meat processing plant. Meat processing plant. Beef plant. Food processing plant. Fire organ potato chip plant. Big industrial trend. You know, everything. Cattle rescued after fire. Now, you could argue that some of these aren't necessarily, you know, you could kind of find this if you're looking for just fire. But the fact, I'm focused more on specifically the large distribution plants, the large processing plants. That seems, un- it's, I find that really hard to believe that all of these could happen in such a short period of time. I mean, even Newsweek's writing about it. Maybe because they want you to see it. No survivors from fiery plane crash at General Mills plant. Uh, Dabu7 did an, a, a two-minute video on this. You can watch. He'll do a quick breakdown. And then they, this was shared with me as well. This is very interesting. This is from the UK government. Hey, guess what? April 12th, how to apply for a lump sum payment to leave or retire from farming. <laughs> Why don't you just go ahead and put it down? We'll just pay you to stop right in the middle of a food shortage. Why not? Really? Finally, just a last point in regard to where this goes. No, no COVID today. I'm going to talk about it tomorrow. Universal basic income is the answer to the inequalities exposed by COVID-19. What do you know? You mean that 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 agenda that was called fake news conspiracy theory up until it was floated during one of the elections, and then it became a primary talking point, and then all of a sudden it was like, hey, COVID, why don't universal basic income? Like, and I said this in the beginning. How many of these conspiracy theories were being actualized because of COVID? It was an endless list. Endless. The point is, all of this comes together. All of it. From the fact that they're claiming Ukraine is leading into the very things they then justify for why they need to reimagine our world and how they're part of the Great Reset and they're leading the charge and all this stuff is meant to lead back to you, to censor you because you're a dangerous domestic terrorist for fighting against vaccines. I mean, this circles together in a thousand different ways. The question is how they're going to pull that trigger. But really, the question should be whether you, you know, think for yourself, question what I'm saying, look into the facts, look into the connecting parts of this and ask yourself whether this is a valid concern. You know I think so. I mean, I think this is pretty damn obvious, but I want you guys to do the due diligence thing for yourselves because maybe you'll find something I'm missing. I mean, I I hope you do. That's really the main point. You know, you'll find the missing piece. It's all about open source investigation, guys. Thank you for joining me today and continuing to stand up for the truth. It's being attacked more than I've ever seen in my life. And that's why they're coming after us. 
because you are making a difference. Thank you for being here, guys. I love you all, as always. Question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. The world is changing, and every counterterrorism professional I speak to in the federal government and overseas feels like we are at the doorstep of another 9-11, maybe not something that catastrophic in terms of the visual or the, um, uh, the numbers, but that we can see it building and we don't quite know how to, how to stop it.